Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Tuesday morning, November 28, 843-661-0937. Good morning, Josh. Morning. Good morning, Rev. Good you morning. get here on time, you don't have to plunder around, fumble around, <laughs> fiddle go, around. I had to go fix equipment. something in the back here real quick. They had to fix something in the back real quick, yep. Josh. Excuses? Yeah. Excuses. Oh, okay. <laughs> you guys have no idea what I do around here. No, we don't. No, You're right. Yeah, yeah. The anguish you that you keep endure. the ship afloat. Yeah, he does. I mean, I know I don't. I'm out of here at about five minutes after 10 uh, every morning to get as far away from all this equipment that I have no understanding about. But see, I, I have a responsibility, so I leave the house in time to get here to start the show, right? Usually. And I've never been late, have I? I don't think you have. Anyway. Nope. Uh, but th- there are things I hear. If I, you were, I, I'd bring it up. I know you would. You would. You would. Remember definitely. that day in 1977 <laughs> that Rev was late, Josh? Yep. Remember that? No. Uh, yeah. I better knock on wood, but had a pretty good track record yeah, for the last 12 have, years, right? You have. Um, but so I hear sometimes on my way in, I scan across all the radio stations that we program in the area that I can pick up, and then I might hear a thing or two I've got to adjust before 6 o'clock in the morning. So I had to fix something. Well, I, I want to apologize beforehand for this eventual less than stellar effort oh um i felt like crap <laughs> oh no I, mean, I really do I mean, what, the, the, you, you told me this morning the bug was going around my wife had a bug over the weekend not bad just enough to aggravate you you know what i mean mm-hmm. not enough to make you bedridden and, and and go to the doctor and all those good things but um i gotta be real sick to go to the doctor i mean i just i don't know call it procrastination fear of the the doctor i have no idea but i've just always tried to figure out a way to not go uh, to the doctor, but you got 110, you got 137 temperature. It'll get better. I mean, it'll get better. Give right. me an hour or two. It'll get, right. Give me a, um, give me a dot Pepsi and a saltine. You know, it, it'll get better here in just a couple of minutes. Um, anyway, eight, four, three, six, six, one, oh, nine, three, seven. We'll be fine. So the three you'll, of make, us will, you'll make it through the show yeah, this morning. We'll, we'll tag team okay. this the, uh, the best way we know how I don't feel terrible. I just feel under the weather, just mm-hmm. blah, just got, you know, kind of a head cold and you know, that drains you a little bit of fever, not much. Um, I think it may be COVID, Josh. I think it may be the return of COVID, um, Josh. Ooh. Did you take a shot to make sure you didn't get COVID, I certainly Josh? did not, but okay. I will be staying on this side of the glass. <laughs> I'm sure it's not COVID. I'm sure it's a <laughs> yeah. head cold uh, that is going around. A lot of conversation yesterday, not necessarily. Very few people could care less about an NFL front office or not. I mean, that, that, it was obvious to me. I mean, the diehards, the Gamecock and Tiger diehard fan base, when things aren't going well, I mean, they want to get in the weeds. What's wrong? I mean, what's happening here? Um, why can't we win? Why can't we be well, better? You're, you're both kind of coming off very disappointing seasons well, I mean, compared th- to expectations. Th- th- their expectations are, they shouldn't be. They are. And this is probably something that makes me, it grates on me even more. Why should the Clemson fan base expectation be higher than the Gamecock fan base expectations? I can tell you why. It's history. I mean, the history, yeah. no doubt about it. I mean, it shouldn't be that way, but it is. And uh, historically, that's just been the case. Um, anyway, don't get me started there. I don't want to go down that road. Very few people in the grand scheme of things care at all about my proposal of a kind of a, um, a reformatting or a reorging uh, organization of the, uh, the front office of football. I do believe this, Reb, and I'll stand by this comment. I uh, talked to two people yesterday in the know, uh, one at Clemson, one at Carolina. Where did you come up with that? Out of thin air? Made it up. But I mean, right? you, not, well, let me think about it. it it's, I, I would give you a lot of credit. It's the Atlanta Braves model. I mean, it really and truly is. The Atlanta Braves, and I'm thinking about the New England Patriots. I mean, they would be another team 
Um, is, I'm sure there are others, but those two are prominent to me. They maximize value. I mean, they, they just figure out a way to take a kind of a, um, I mean, the Patriots would be different. Boston's a big, big media market, and they would be New England's team, so to speak. But they aren't the um, the Jets, the Giants, you know, or a Los Angeles or Chicago team. Um, but they just figure out a way to run an organization uh, as effectively, efficiently, and successful as you can run one. And I'm just saying with the Braves, take the 13th highest payroll and end up, you know, not year after year, but almost year after year with the first, second, or third best record in baseball. I mean, somebody's doing a good job. When you take the Dodgers, well, the Dodgers would be a bad you Take the Mets. I mean, the Mets would be a team that squanders opportunity. Apparently, they don't have a good front office. They have uh, historically the highest payroll in baseball. A lot of money, right? You know, them along with the Mets. I mean, the, Do- the Yankees, they can do that in New York City. All that TV revenue that comes in. Sounds funny, doesn't it, uh, SEC fans? All that TV <laughs> revenue that comes to the door. Hmm. Um, you squander it. You don't do a good job of allocating the resources. You don't good, do, do a good job of um, uh, maximizing the benefit or turning a, uh, you know, an average program into a winning program. And and I just think that, that once again, clichéic, yeah, the definition of insanity is to continue believing things will get different if you keep doing things the exact same way. So in the advent of this new era in college football, doesn't matter if you like it or not, I heard somebody yesterday on one of the sports stations say that Dabo Sweeney is going to be very active in the portal this year. Hmm. A couple of years ago, Dabo said he didn't care much for the portal. You know what Dabo's concluded? College football's bigger than I am. College football's bigger than Nick Saban. Yep. I mean, you know, that, that horse has left the station. That train <laughs> has left the proverbial barn. barn. And, um, and it is what it is. So, so, you know, you watch Dabo recommit himself to understanding this is the new normal. And if I need to pluck a tight end or an offensive tackle or a, a linebacker from uh, Florida, you know, uh, the backup at Texas A&M may be better than my guy. Because if you don't, somebody else somebody will. Somebody else will. No question about it. Um, and, and we're really, I think the portal opens December 4th. The Monday after the conference championship games is when the portal opens. And, I mean, I'm already reading on Twitter this morning. Um, you're not going to believe the names that are going to make themselves available in the portal. So, so it doesn't matter that A&M had a rough year. A&M's got some talented players that would be interested or, or be interesting to the Gamecocks and Tigers. Um, do you have a systematic way to identify talent and and properly allocate talent toward that? Uh, or excuse me, uh, compensation toward toward that talent. But one thing people were interested in, see, I'm, I'm beating that dead horse, but one thing people are interested in is whether or not Trump should have been allowed on the field. And it's kind of... 60-40 against. Really? On the, the majority of people that I bumped into, Gamecock and Tiger fans, said it was um, pretty cool to have him there. The box is fine. You know, on the periphery is fine. The rubbernecking and gawking that goes along with one of these, you know, um, very notable personalities is fine. But to have him on the field to do nothing, I mean, he didn't present a check for $50 million to South Carolina or Clemson. He didn't, you know, get awarded of the order of the Palmetto. They just stood there and waved Henry and Trump standing on the football field at halftime of the Clemson-Carolina game for what? Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And I just, I, I, I don't want to say I find that repulsive, but I find that repulsive. I, I really do. Um, it's not a campaign event. You know, gawking, rubbernecking in a box is fine. Where's the president? 
Is he with the governor? Where, where are they? What box? What, behind what glass? I mean, where are they? That would have been appropriate in Death Valley. That's appropriate in Williams Bryce. But to bring him on the field was just a, a, a photo op and a political opportunity masquerading itself as as a football game. And I just, I don't, I don't have any, and, and the majority of people felt like I did. I mean, not overwhelmingly. No, I just disagree. I mean, it wasn't 90-10. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't 80-20, but it was about, you know, 60-40-ish. Most said, yeah, he probably shouldn't have been on the field. You know, in the box is fine. Accommodating a former president is fine. But um, but making he and the governor the center of attention during the halftime. I mean, what if you'd worked real hard in the band? I mean, what if you were a Gamecock or Tiger band member? You know, the um, the band that, what, what is it with Clemson's? It, it took 30 seconds. 30 what, what seconds is, to uh, walk Trump out. Trump doesn't do anything in 30 seconds. No. Um, <laughs> the band that shakes the Southland and then the the mighty sound of the Southeast. There you go. Uh, why do I know that? Because I've been going to football oh, games yeah. forever in 50 days. Um, I think the Clemson band identifies itself as the band that shakes the Southland, and the Gamecock band is the mighty sound of the South. Um <laughs> Wow, I mean, that, that, w- those are light years apart, aren't they? I mean, th- those don't have anything anything in common. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is and, our and number. By the way, I had read a story yesterday, and I don't know the history. I'm sure, but Gerald Ford made an appearance during a football game. Went on the field, 1976. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Gerald Ford played football in Michigan. True. Did you know that? I did. I mean, he had kind of a reputation of being klutz. Remember, he fell down somewhere and had this. I don't know the 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 persona that was, of Gerald Ford was a bit clutzy, but he was actually a um, pretty decent football yep. player at the University so, of, um, so gonna, of Michigan. So you're going to raise some cane about that? Well, that was in the '70s. Can't, I probably would have if I'd done a radio show back in the '70s. Let President Ford on the field of my university are playing football. Get I mean, that guy off of Rev. That. No, you know me well enough. I'm not that shallow most times. Um, <laughs> my problem is this, and I said it yesterday, and I'll stand by this. You have a different opinion than I about Trump getting on the field. Right. I think you would agree with me here. Let's find an angle here. I think you would agree with me that if the university said, no, we'd rather not have him on the field. Excuse me. If the athletics department had said, look, we're cool with him being in the box. We'll, we'll actually accommodate. We'll find parking. We'll create a thoroughfare. We'll do everything we can to get President Trump to and from Willie B. But we don't want him on the field. I mean, we've just made a determination as leaders of the athletics department that the game is the central issue, and we don't want to kind of we don't want to we don't want to distort that. And the university's political arm had said, "Okay, fair enough. Uh, what box? You know, where do they park? What? What? How, how do we get in and out? Fine. I mean, that, that that's most appropriate. But when the university's athletics department says, "Hey, we, we'd rather not have him on the field," and the political apparatus gets to work and bullies its way over the, the 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 judgment of the athletics department it confirms what everybody believes is a central problem at usc it's too damn political and the politicians and some of the board members that are associated with the politicians have too much sway it just confirms the suspicion it adds to the frustration because i could easily say no it's not I mean, that's not the way it is it's not that political well, now we know it is. Everything we've ever suspected about, you know, the issue at South Carolina has been revealed I get th- I in, get in one nanosecond. Angle. I get that angle. So, so you would agree with that angle? And Yeah, that's that, and, and that's a level deeper than I'm thinking. But I, it's not deep, deep, deep. I mean, I, it's a level deeper. I'll agree with that. It is a level deeper. you got to be somewhat familiar with the history of the program 
the history of the university, the belief that some of its fan base have about politics play too big a part in USC athletics. Well, I mean, if, if, if a lot of the fan base believes that a reason, or one of the reasons, a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons they've not been as successful in football is that it's just too damn political. I mean, they hired this buddy to do this job and that buddy to do that job. And, and then, you know, some of the leaders at the university want to hire this guy, but some of the, the political activists don't want that guy. They'd rather have this guy, whether he's better at the job or not. I, I just think political favoritism has no place in running a football program. Do you and, think if he stayed in the box, that could have been perceived as elitist? I mean, if he's going to show up, he you is know, he's, elitist. He's popular. Yeah, but he's popular in South Carolina. I think the mindset he's probably was popular. that people wanted to see him better. You know, yeah, not everyone can have kind of my seats. point. Yeah, I mean, I was he was right behind me, so I saw him in the box. I, I, I don't deny any of that. I'm just saying, from a perspective, somebody's trying to call it. We can't get anybody like on the, the phone. Yeah, phone keeps ringing and then hanging up. I don't know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, the, the day that I have a temperature of 137, the phones aren't going to work. <laughs> where, where we need more calls. Yippee! <laughs> this will be a lot of fun this morning. And, and and by the way, I'd like to, I feel like I'd be this, I'd feel the same way if it was President Obama, if it was President George W. Bush, Bill Clinton. I mean, I would say, hey, there's a president here at our university, on you know, at our biggest game of the year. And, you know, make a big deal out of it. We you, I, I like pomp and circumstance. But, I mean, there was a week's worth of news. Yeah, but that, that, of course, they talked about it, but make it happen. All right, let's see it. And let him on the field. Yes. Okay, fair enough. Um, you confirmed every suspicion Gamecock fans have had for 150,000 <laughs> And that's going to change what? Uh, it just confirms the suspicion. <laughs> it gives me something to rant about. <laughs> there you go. And on the day that I feel like ranting, it felt good. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe President Ford walked on our field in 1976. He played football. <laughs> Trump's scared to death of a football game. Let's go. <laughs> Might own a football Let's team. Let's take a break. We're going to call. I think we had somebody get through. Let's go to take yeah. a break. We'll be back in just a minute. Done with football. Okay. We're moving on to okay. politics. 843 okay. I'm offended. One of our listeners thinks that I'm trying to make just a um, a provocative a situation provocative <laughs> to inspire some sort of response. Imagine that. I would never do that. Oh, no. I would never, no. ever, ever in a million years. I'm deeply insulted that someone would believe that I may take a stand just to try and gin up a call or two. Man. I am a man of what's, honor. What's and to blow things out of proportion. Yeah, yeah. What's this business coming to if yeah. you're doing stuff like that? Yeah. <laughs> Provocateur. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Good morning, Mike. Uh, good morning. I I uh, hesitate to call with your macabre and ghoulish association with uh, Carolina football. I've been disappointed so many times with their play, and I don't know if they they have they recruit players with uh, TARDIS dyskinesia or uh, running backs with lar- narcolepsy or what it is, but. Uh, they hadn't really been getting it done, but there's a critical thing. I didn't get to read your uh, Bill of Rights for the Carolina fans, <laughs> but uh, I, I I hope you included that they get some blockers on the left side <laughs> of the line. They got to have they got to have at least two, and they need four if they're going to intend to play in the SEC. Otherwise, they're just going to be a doormat. Hey, uh, practice team for the uh, other other schools that are quite serious about their football. 
and everything else is uh, moot. I don't think uh, Rattler, he's a pretty darn good quarterback. He moves like a pro sometimes. I was watching him. I said, good grief, that guy's moving like an NFL uh, quarterback. And But he's got to have some blockers, too. And those blockers are essential, and I think that would help them uh, attract a really another uh, high-powered quarterback. Uh, which is essential to any uh, any winning team. Yeah, I think they've got – thank you, Mike. I think they've got the quarterback in Lenore Sellers from Florence, a South Florence guy that they're very high on and believe they can build an entire offense uh, around that guy. I'll say this, and then we'll move on because this is not a, a sports show. we got the bad boy who does all that for us, and um, we enjoyed Wednesday spending time together and talking mm-hmm. about this rivalry in this game. But but it is important to the state. I mean, it does politics do play in. I think we saw politics on full display Saturday. Well, and that's kind of what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, we, we got that? a disagreement about the politics of Saturday night. Should the university have allowed President Trump on the field or not? I don't think anybody's got a problem at all about him being in the box and about the university accommodating and the rivalry accommodating. Um, I mean, I would have got Clemson's blessing. Hey, it's a big football game. We played each other 120 times. Uh, Trump wants to come. You guys cool with that? I mean, it's our venue, it's our university, but we'd rather respectfully. I mean, the universities don't hate one another. Some of the fans do and act stupid, but the universities don't hate one another. They're highly competitive with one another. But I want to go back to something Mike said, because I've always said this. I think the SEC, and let's say Clemson. I mean, Clemson is an, I think we all said Wednesday, Clemson is an SEC school. The culture, the mindset, the mentality, the, um, the disbursement of resources. I mean, it would be very, very in line with an SEC school. Um, those schools play football. I think South Carolina's played at football. Look at the recruiting budgets. Look at the ancillary staff of the football offices. I, I just think, you know what, I don't know what Shane needs to win. I don't know if Shane has enough resources and I think that's kind or of, not. That's what you're addressing in your, as Mike called it, your Bill of Rights uh, that you posted on your Facebook, and it's on fitznews.com as well as a guest a columnist article. But, I, I mean, isn't that what you're addressing sure. as the focus on, hey, let's be well, I mean, serious I'll give an example. about football? I've been told from reliable sources that there are 14 to 15 personnel in the football office that don't coach. I think there's 50 or 60 at Alabama and 40 or 50 at Georgia. Right. That's just that, that that's scheming. I mean, that, that's finding a, a cheaper way to do things. That's letting the budget, you know, drive whether you win or lose. And I understand you only got so much money, and and you know, you, you're paying your. Well, I don't want to get down the road of women's basketball coach, um, but they made a big commitment to women's basketball. They're damn good at it. I mean, they're really good at it. But are you taking resources that could be spent on football and devoted to women's basketball? I get Title Nine. I understand you're obligated by law and statute. To, to, you know, support student athletes who are female. I get that. I support that. Um, not wildly, but I do support that. I want to go to one thing he said, and then we'll move on. And this would be a good breeze question. Um, the guy that South Carolina hires as strength and, strength and conditioning coach is one of these big functional strength guys. You know, pulling sleds, flipping tires, all these good things. I believe, now maybe I'm old school here, Rev. But I believe in some positions that matters a lot. I think linemen, and Breeze would be the guy to answer this, I believe that offensive and defensive linemen, Nick Saban said 20 years ago that I'm going to build a program at LSU based on recruiting big, strong guys and men that can fight through big, strong guys. And when I watch the offensive line and the defensive line for South Carolina, they look slimmer. They look fitter. They look more in shape. And that concerns me. 
I, I mean, I need my lineman to be in shape, but you know what I need my lineman to be? Strong. Strong. And you get strong in a squat rack and a bench press. I mean, your upper body, your lower body, your trunk, your, your core, all those things. Um, remember when I was infatuated with Mount Everest, and I read about it, and I studied it, and I read about it, and I studied it, I contemplated it, I read, I studied it, and I contemplated The people that failed at climbing or summiting Mount Everest, you know what they said their regret was? To not take being strong as serious as they should have. They underestimated how important it is to be strong. What is the opposite of strong? Weak. Weak. I mean, I understand cardio and fitness and conditioning and all the flipping tires and running up hills and, and bands and straps. I just believe offensive and defensive, big old guys, big old 300-pound men need to be in a squat rack or a bench press getting stronger. And when I look at our offensive line and defensive line, they look fit. In fact, you know what I'll say? They look a little too fit to me. They do. That uh, you know, Some of the interior linemen look a little bit like defensive ends. And I just think that's because the strength and conditioning coach believes in a way of doing things that doesn't make them as strong as they need to be in some of these situations. Once again, Saban said, I want big guys and I want, I want guys that can fight through big guys. And strength is a central component, probably the central component to that. Remember Reggie White of the uh, played at Tennessee and then he got drafted by the Eagles and then he played at the Green Bay Packers. Reggie White looked like a just a, a I mean, never been in a weight room in his life. But he was just unbelievably strong. I mean, just what we say, country strong. You know what I mean? Looked like mm-hmm. he didn't know where the weight room was. But he would kind of take his right arm and grab a 300-pound man and throw him through that window and there was Josh. And I, and I just think we, we you know, I think we, We've gotten all fancy schmancy about strength and conditioning, and it's become more about conditioning than it has strength. And I think strength, the teams that concentrate and focus on strength, they dominate the lines of scrimmage. And football's still a line of scrimmage um, game. Let's go to the phone. Kyle in Chesterfield. Good morning, Kyle. Hey, how's it going, man? Hey, Kyle. uh, I'm going to change the subject a little bit, man. I've got to get this out there. I've been dying to tell somebody. All right, 2016, my parents – Let's see, they moved to South Carolina in 2010 from Ohio. All right. 2016, before my dad, he was a registered Democrat up there his whole life. He was going to vote for Trump, passed away before he could. 2020 comes around. I bought their house. I checked the mail one day. Just so happens the DNC sends him an absentee ballot, and he hadn't lived there since 2010 in Ohio. So how many of those did they send out to dead people, and how many of them got filled out and sent back in? That's what I wanted to say. Thank you, Kyle. And I wish I could answer that question, but I don't have any idea. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. More than um, should have. Here, here's, here's a good question. I don't know the answer. You don't know the que- answer. Nobody knows the answer to this. Um, how many I mean, are, are the Democrats, as part of their strategy, to have people vote illegally? I mean, I say yes. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. And I think historically, the Democrats have stuffed ballot boxes and, you know, we, we got now we got a lot of funding. You, you got the Center for Tech and Civic Life and the Zuck Bucks and all that money that came into play. I think there's a lot of Democrats that have gotten elected to public office over some shenanigans at the local level. I don't think we've ever seen it as widespread. I mean, I understand the Kennedy-Nixon election, and Nixon still believes that, you know, Joe Kennedy cost him the state of Illinois. And, and maybe um, LBJ, the state of Texas. 
I, I don't know that. I mean, we didn't have 24-7 media. We didn't have, you know, the, the internet to report on all these things. But, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that the Democrats have taken advantage of the rules of voting more than the Republicans have. I just don't think they've ever had a well-funded machine like they did in 2020 when Zuckerberg said, what, $400 million. That moves the meters, guys. I mean, if, if money's the mother's milk of politics, $400 million, that's a bunch of Similac. Take a break. <laughs> Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. You know, you brought up strength versus conditioning, I guess. And you, you've talked for a long time about Mount Everest. And I know how, I think at some point you were serious about wanting to try to climb Mount Everest yourself. But, but something you learned was about the strength not only endurance, but how important strength is to, the, to something the, like the that. The people that failed to climb Mount Everest in doing a post-mortem, the majority said they underestimated how important strength was. Their cardio was off the chart. Their their body, you know, their their body mass index. I mean, all that good stuff. The BMIs. I mean, the the blood pressure, the cholesterol. I mean, everything about them was probably in the top one percent. But the majority of those who failed said they underestimated how important it was to be strong, to be physically strong. And it looks to me the Gamecock football team is not as strong as the teams they play. And they pay a strength and conditioning coach a lot of money. And he's with these kids a lot. But they build a multi, multi, multi gazillion dollar football operations building. It's got a, a, a weight room like, wow. Um, but but I, I just I wonder if they're flipping too many tires and not bench pressing and squatting enough to get the strength needed to play that line of scrimmage. I mean, I think the wide receivers and the running, I mean, all that, you need to be strong too. But that darn, I mean, that darn defense and offensive line, strength is, might be the most important single ingredient to be successful or not. And we know, you know, we had some deficiency in that offensive line all season. We didn't look strong. Yep. We just didn't look like we were as strong as the teams we're playing. And, and the body types. I mean, I'd, I'd watch our kids. I'll give you an example. Tonka Hemingway from Conway. Tonka played the interior line. And when you saw Tonka with a T-shirt on, he was a very fit guy. But, but I, the, the body mass it takes, the 320 pounds it takes to shove and get shoved in between the tackle, I just wonder if we missed the boat there. Uh, anyway, uh, that's from afar. <laughs> I, I don't run the strength and conditioning program, but I wonder if it's as effective as it needs to be. Let's go to the phone. Breeze, good morning. You're on. You know, uh, kids, if y'all budget time is at almost 7 o'clock, you ain't got enough time to talk about it. It is so complicated. But I'll just say this. You know, you can talk about strength, then you got to talk about power. You know, uh, so how fast can you move a bar? You know, if you could bench press 600 pounds, an average lineman in college should be able to bench press at least 450, 405. The guys weigh 300. They, they may say they weigh 320, some of them weigh more than that, okay? I mean, I weigh 300 pounds. They look like they outweigh me 40 pounds. So, uh, but it's also how fast you can move a bar. You know, your speed training. Speed is power. You got an equation where you take your weight and times how fast you move it. And, and, and you know, and so you take 200 pounds and move it at a speed of three. Take 400 pounds and move it at a speed, you know, if you speedometer, move it at a speed of you know, two. You see where I'm going? Yeah. Multiply it out. So, you know, I mean, but another thing, too, if you have everybody working up, and that's where you get to the arguments. And it usually goes back to what the strength coach's background was, if you even had one. A lot of strength coaches go to college, and they come out with a certification of 
master's degree or whatever, but it's all of the it physical, it, it'd be exercise science of some sort. And then to get a certified strength conditioning specialist, you know, that's kind of my ballpark there. And uh, they better not have any real world experience. And other ones may have competed at some point. And so that's their training. If you recruit a guy that has a background of powerlifting, then guess what? He's got his guys doing that type of training. He's got a background in Olympic lifting, they're doing that type of training. And I think sometimes they make a mistake there. But I will tell you this, if all of your offensive linemen are tearing their pegs in the ball weight room, bench press and back separate singles every day like powerlifters do. So when I was powerlifting, I would do a back separate once a week. Basically, it'd be five sets of two. And that's dangerous when you talk about bench pressing over 500 pounds, close to 600 pounds for five sets of two. And uh, you can tear a peck real easy. Same thing with squatting, same thing with deadlifting, you know, and everything else. So it gets complicated. You know, that's what I'm trying to say. I think you got to figure it and it's hard to figure out, very hard to figure out. And, again, a lot of these street coaches, they get all the accolades. Well, it's pretty damn easy to be a good street coach when you got a bunch of uh, five-star guys that are just genetically gifted. Breeze, how, 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 important, how important is genetics? I mean, in other words, when you recruit a kid and you look at his dad and you and you see how his dad looks at 45 or 50, how important is that? Well, he's going to have a hell of an advantage. But then again, you see a lot of guys that are gifted that don't work. And then you get a guy like that Brian Bullworth boy off from Arkansas from back in, I guess, 2000 that had no genetics at all and ended up being an All-American, died tragically in a car wreck. And then you get these guys that are all genetics in the world like a Ricky Haygood from uh, Carolina back in that um, 83, 84 year, he had all the genetics in the world, but had a horrible attitude, horrible work ethic, and everything else. It didn't turn out to be worth a damn. So, you know, but yeah, you know, it's hard to, you, know, you think a guy with good genetics and he's working just as hard or harder than everybody else, you can't beat him. You know, you just can't beat him. You know, I mean, it's just um, as hard, hard, hard as you can't outwork that guy if he's working as hard as you are then, you know, you got trouble. And that's the thing is, Alabama, when I, I sent you that article with Georgia, you know, to talk about Georgia so good, they recruit, you know, you, they, they recruit their linemen first. They recruit they recruit all of their linemen first, and, and there's no other team in the country. Alabama came in second when it came to recruiting linemen. I mean, offensive and defensive linemen. And they came in, they were still 8% behind Georgia. So Georgia, before they look at a quarterback, before they look at a wide receiver, running back, great defensive back, you name it, they that goals were called recruit live and first, then they go to the skill position. We've always had your Sterling Sharps. We got your all our we got some guys now, our quarterback. But we ain't got but we don't have these outlet trophy winners. We don't have you know, we've had what, out of all the offensive and defensive linemen, We've had Jadavion Clowney and then Dale Wilkes. He made all four All-American teams in Carolina. Where is the Where is the long history of great offensive and defensive linemen in Carolina? There isn't one. It's a very Look short list. It's a very short list. Exactly. You know, so you can talk for you can literally talk for days on this stuff. And I don't know. I used to know all of the strongest saw uh, men in the world. I still know some of them. But, you know, I thought everybody from Bill Kazmaier to uh, Brian Shaw and I'll trade with Mr. Olivia's and I'll trade with gold medalists in the, uh, 
gold medal of shot putters before in the Olympics. And I tell you, these guys are special. I trade with a power lifter that had nine world records out of 3,000 pounds total. Trade with about 15 years old at all. And uh, they're special. But I, I don't um, I don't know. Um, well, I used to know the straight coach in Carolina. In fact, the original straight coach, the first real straight coach they hired, was the one that got that 84 team thought as good as they were. His name was Keith Capard. He got caught up in that whole thing with Tommy Chaykin. Yeah, steer, that, that steroid that scandal. Yeah, well, Breeze, we got to take a break. Appreciate yeah. it. Hey, maybe my next Facebook post is, is Breeze interested in being a strength and conditioning coach in Carolina? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll make Breeze the strength and conditioning coach in South Carolina. Um, I mean, he can do it. I'm serious. Got me that one. I have a question. Breeze is my go-to guy. I mean, I take fitness pretty seriously. I don't worry about strength as much as probably those guys should. But when I have one of those questions, mm-hmm. uh, um, I reach out to Breeze and say, hey, it. here's what I'm thinking. Tell me whether I'm I'm right or wrong. He's got a lot of water under that bridge. Take a break. Back in a few. You know, one, one of the beauties I've heard of being wealthy <laughs> is you can just say what you like and, and without fear of, you know, some sort of transactional retribution, that there's a little intrigue in Trump about that. You know what I mean? He's an older guy. He's financially secure, we think. I mean, we think he's financially <laughs> he secure. He says, I'm really well, rich. I mean, yeah, he says, you know, I'm an ideal. And he's not as rich as he says he is. But, but I would imagine he does okay. Yeah. Um, Elon Musk would be the quintessential, um, I'll say what I say, and people deal with it the best way uh, they know how. And in today's very divided political world, he offends a lot of people when he says certain things. Uh, but I don't think anybody could accuse him of being just, just disregarding decorum. I mean, I think he respects uh, the world he exists in. Um, Israel hosted Elon Musk. I mean, he actually visited Israel, and there was some debate about Starlink and Gaza and some things that I don't fully understand. Our resident expert on these sorts of issues has been Fox News Radio's Eben Brown. He's with us this morning. Eben, good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning. So so what is it about Elon Musk making a visit to Israel that people find so interesting? Well, uh, I, I think the the most interesting thing probably has to do with the Starlink question. You know, uh, Starlink is a a project of his SpaceX company that provides uh, satellite based internet service, uh, irrespective of ground infrastructure. So as long as you would have a a receiver and a terminal, uh, you don't need to be connected uh, to a, a cable company or a phone company or anything like that, or even a cellular network for the most part. Uh, you are able to get the internet connectivity from satellites that Elon Musk has placed into space. Now, uh, this has been uh, proven to be helpful in many cases, uh, especially after disasters, but also in times of political unrest. Uh, The use of Starlink has allowed for um, specific operations to be carried out in Ukraine, uh, and there had been a growing call for uh, Musk to provide Starlink Internet service to Gaza. And the Israeli government had uh, a little bit to say about that, to say, wait a second, I don't, we don't want you giving this access to, to Hamas. And there had been some, uh, you know, back and forth outcry over this. But uh, eventually Musk had said, look, I'm, I'm not going to do this without talking to the Israeli government first, because we uh, we don't want to give. Uh, Hamas uh, internet service, uh, certainly not internet service we can't take away or, or track or in any kind of way. 
So one of his uh, purposes of going to Israel yesterday was to meet with Israel's communications minister and kind of hammer out a deal about this. And so there will be uh, some Starlink use in Gaza, uh, but it won't be something that Hamas would be able to have access to. The terminals um, are not going to be made available to them. It will allow probably the IDF, for the most part, to have better Internet while they're in Gaza, uh, and not to mention uh, any kind of um, administration of Gaza going forward when the war ends. Uh, that That's uh, the specifics they, they haven't really talked about or released publicly anyway, but I would imagine that's uh, that's what it's for. While he was there, uh, he was uh, given a chance to tour uh, at least one of the kibbutzim uh, that were completely uh, destroyed. Uh, on the 10-7 massacres, and he was able to see up close and personal uh, the destruction of homes uh, and where um, uh, where the bodies were left and where people were uh, were brutalized and, and whatnot. And uh, it certainly affected him. He, he spoke uh, publicly about it. He also did a uh, what they call a space on uh, on the X app, which is like an audio conversation. He did it with uh, the prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, and he was uh, quite uh, quite insistent that what Hamas has done is unacceptable and, and is disgusting uh, and that they need to be eradicated, that there cannot be a future for the Palestinian people as long as Hamas is running things and as long as the Palestinian people subscribe to what Hamas is selling. Uh, and that is wholesale destruction of Jews. So uh, that's um, I think those remarks were certainly well received in many quarters. Eben, you, you've shared some personal stories of, of your, your life and your, you know, your, your, your lineage, where you come from, and, and, and how you feel about what's happening in Israel. C- can I ask you this, if you don't mind? What, what do you think of the ceasefire? What do you think of the, um, the deal that was brokered and made that, that has, you know, both, both sides have agreed that we're going to allow some of these hostages to be? I mean, what, what do you make of where we are today, I guess, in essence, is what I'm asking. I- I think that the the overall culture among the governance and the state of Israel is a culture of life. Uh, And so when you have a chance to recover uh, hostages, you take that chance, even if there's a tactical risk to your your military objective. And that military objective is the eradication of Hamas, the 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 complete disposal of Hamas, Uh, a chance to bring home uh, these uh, innocent men and women and children. Uh, has to come first. How how would you, as prime minister or a government official of Israel, look into the eyes of a mother whose child is being held uh, in in Gaza by animals, by by terrorists, uh, and say, "Sorry, uh, you know, we're not going to you know take this chance to get your child home right now because we still need to advance another three miles or whatever the case may be." Uh, you can't do that. So you have to do it. Uh, is it good militarily? Probably not. It, it probably does stymie the IDF's efforts. But even the IDF would probably tell you, we, you know, the, the goal is to get the, the hostages home. Uh, I think it's uh, problematic that the uh, um, one of the conditions was for every one hostage, three convicted Palestinian terrorists needs to be released from prison. These are dangerous, violent people. Uh, many whom, upon their return to their communities, um, uh, were celebrated not because they were home, but because they were uh, they were mujahideen, they were they were killers, um, and they vowed to do their do their their terrorism all over again, calling for more Jewish blood to spill. These are not people who were reformed by their prison experience at all. 
So I, I yeah, there's a problematic part to this, but ultimately, uh, you know, as since since everyone wants to quote Osama bin Laden's letter now and all these silly children on TikTok, um, I'll quote a different quote from him: "You love life, and we love death, and that's why." We, we, you know, I, the paraphrase is, you know, that's why you can't stop us or something along those lines. Uh, and that was from that same letter to America. Uh, so uh, remember, these uh, people are of like mind, of, of like motivation, and they don't care to live. They, they find glory in a brutal death, even if it's their own brutal death, as long as they cause the brutal death of their enemy, which they say in the interim are Jews and Israelis uh, or, quote unquote, Zionists which is a dog whistle in this case, uh, but it's really the West, and uh, people should take note. Uh, these are not—it's it's really, I think, disgusting and malpractice if you will, of uh, the New York Times and Reuters and the Washington Post to say this is an exchange of hostages. No, one side took hostages, the other side imprisoned convicted terrorists— uh, and uh, at one point there was a headline—I forget who it was. It may have been, the, it may have been Reuters— uh, I may not have been, but it probably was uh, saying that the, the uh, that uh, uh, Hamas was was releasing Israeli soldiers that it captured. I'm sorry, only only in the uh, jihadi world is a four year old a soldier. In Israel, a four year old is a student. Well explained, Eben. Thank you for your time, and appreciate you ad libbing and going off subject. I hear the passion in your voice, and we certainly appreciate you sharing that that passion with us. Thank you. You got it. It's just kind of any time you get Eben, I mean, he's so versed and so, I mean, he, I mean, he's a part of that history. Yeah, I mean, his family, to him. I don't know if you've heard that story, but um, his family hid under tables and in uh, the Holocaust and uh, and dealt with that. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. I want to go down this road, if you don't mind, Josh, I want to get your take here because you're the young buck and you're the guy who knows everything. You know how you young folks are. Um, should we ban TikTok or not? I don't think so. I don't either. Do you, Rev? Um, and I've never been on TikTok. Never, Nor have I. I never made an account or never, you know, seen. I think I've seen shared videos or whatever, but I've never been on it. But, yeah, I'm not into is it, to banning is it, things. Isn't the banning of TikTok an acceptance that we can't parent ourselves? We need the government to do it for us. You know, I don't have any control over my kids. But the problem is kids are being influenced by some of this craziness that, that, you know, the, the Chinese government. I, yeah. mean, it's I mean, it is concerning. It's, it's if, very if, concerning. If China is installing these apps and they have access to information because these apps are on all these phones for all these, especially the young people. But but do we outlaw everything that could negatively influence our children? I mean, doesn't that let parents off the hook? I mean, doesn't, yeah. doesn't it say, hey, your parental responsibilities are minimized because the government says this could be a damage or threat or, 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 you know, distort your child's worldview, and it's, it's being done by the Chinese government. So we're going to ban it. I mean, we're not going to. We're, we're going to. We're going to stop you from having to work as hard as a parent. I mean, I understand the dangers of the internet. I mean, I'm well aware of that. I have no idea how I would have behaved or what my worldview would be today if I had the internet. I mean, I didn't have access to news. I mean, I had a morning paper. I had a, you know, a uh, a six o'clock evening broadcast, and I could have cared less about that when I was a young kid, but how much would I have been hoodwinked into, into buying some of this craziness that we see on the internet if I were 15? I mean, it's easy for me as a 60-year-old dude to say, 
Um, you got to keep your kid off, off TikTok. You got to keep your kid off Instagram. You got to keep your kid off the internet. Um, I mean, that, that's easy for me to say. I, I do believe that it's probably, I mean, it, I, there was a day in my life that I believed the internet was net positive, but brought a lot of baggage to the table. Um, I don't know much about TikTok or Instagram. I mean, I don't know what some of the concerns and complaints are, but, but I do believe that as a limited government conservative, the job to police and monitor your kids' behavior rests with you. And I, I get it. Well, I mean, I can't be with my kid all the time. They've got this phone and they got this ability and okay. But I mean, it's still a part of parenting and teaching kids where the potholes are, what, where the danger spots are, where you can get in trouble. And, and I think to just say to the government, hey, we want that done away with. We don't want to even have to, to worry ourselves with that. Is there any good to TikTok? I don't know. Is there any good to smoking? Is there any good to drinking? Is there any good to uh, whatever? I mean, there are all sorts of vices in our life. And it seems to me that we're more ready to eliminate the vices via government order or edict than we are police ourselves and make conscious decisions and adult decisions and, and sit our kids down and, and tell them, don't you go on TikTok. And they believe you mean it. And if they do go on TikTok, I mean, if you believe TikTok is a, is a threat, and then creates, you know, uh, uh, a distortion of the worldview, then sit your kid down and, and, you know, issue an ultimatum. I don't want you on TikTok. And if I catch you on TikTok, I'm taking your phone forever until you get old enough to have your own phone and your own plan and you go wherever you choose to go. It just seems to me that every chance we have to allow government to fix something for us or us fix it ourselves, we, even limited government conservatives, defer to government <laughs> to fix it ourselves. And government doesn't do a good job. Well, of it never has, and it never will. And I'm not saying TikTok's good. I mean, I, I don't know enough about TikTok. Uh, I hear these Congress members and, and members of the House and Senate say, you know, um, I want to ban it. Uh, I think, you know, Governor Haley, uh, to me, crossed a, I mean, that, that's a big deal when she said that no one should be able to post anything anonymously. Oh, yeah. You got to put your name on it and your email address and all. no. No, but for the life of me, I don't know. But it seems to me that even the limited government conservative as, as kind of um, deferred to government to fix all these things that I just fundamentally don't believe it's government's responsibility to engage in. Let's go to the phone. Then we'll take a break. Jim in Florence. Good morning. You're on. Hey, good morning. Hey, Ken, can you say that again? What you said about the Chinese government controlling an app. And but it's still your job as a parent. I mean, so how am I supposed to take on the Chinese government as a parent uh, when I've got forces coming in from social media? I got forces coming in from uh, regular television programming. Uh, I'd have to shut off everything coming into my home. And, and we do our best. We try our best. We monitor everything. Um, and obviously I don't have children on social media and, and I hope I can uh, keep that away as far as I can. Um, the, the other thing is, Ken, it, it's not just your child. You have to deal with TikTok influencing the children around your children. Uh, I was at an event uh, about a month ago and I heard overheard uh, two uh, very young teenage girls talking about, transgenderism and, and, and queerness and these other things that that they shouldn't be talking about. They should be talking about 
gossiping about little boys and, and the things that little girls should be talking about. Um, but, but Ken, should we ban TikTok? Yes, we should ban any Chinese social media in, in this country, and we should do our dead-level best to protect our children. Um, but let, let me ask you this, Ken. Um, should a 15-year-old be able to walk into a liquor store and not present a, an ID? No. Okay, well, that's government. That's government. Sure, right? sure, sure. Right. Should a should a 19-year-old kid um, be able to go to a strip club and not present ID? No. So why is it still the wild, wild west when it comes to the Internet? Should a 12-year-old be able to walk in McDonald's and order three milkshakes and four orders of fries? I don't know, but I mean, I mean I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong, Jim. You know, I'm not, I respect your opinion. You know, I do. And, and, and I respect. And, and, and well, uh, what, what, what well, I would let, let's have a honest debate. Here's my problem. I believe that modern parents look for ways to not have to parent their kid. I'm not saying you, but, but I mean, in general, there, there are a lot of people who have children who don't take the vested interest in their children. And the easy thing to do is for the government to take all the ills and dangers out of their life so they don't have to parent as hard as you're willing to or I think I was willing to. I mean, I, I like that. I don't know how good a parent I was. I know how hard I tried at it. I mean, you know, my, my kids have hiccups and they've had some issues and they've had some struggles. But I can look in the mirror and say, I know I did about as good as I could do every day at being the kind of parent I wanted to be. Now, now was I a great parent every day? No, of course I wasn't. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I, I goofed it up and messed it up and did things that I wish I could undo. But it seems to me that TikTok is the latest example. And I'll agree with you that it is a Chinese-run app. But to me, it's the latest example of let's let the government get that out of my kid's life so I don't have to deal with that potential conflict and be a more serious parent than I really want to be. But in fairness, when my dad turned me loose, in the 1990s to go ride my bicycle around town. He didn't have to worry about the Chinese Communist Party infiltrating my very being in my brain and sending me propaganda to make me think that I'm a little girl. Let, let me ask you that. You would know better than I, because I've, I've said I'm not on TikTok. I've never been on TikTok. What about TikTok is different than Instagram or, or some of these other social media apps that young people use? Well, the, the algorithms for sure that are promoting um, the, the transgenderism and the queerness and, and all these other different aspects. But, I, but now, in fairness, though, uh, YouTube and Instagram are creating similar models that are, that are starting to do the same thing. Um, They're trying to influence young people, correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And you believe TikTok, because of its ownership, by the Chinese government is unique to some of the other apps that we know try to manipulate young people's minds. Well, I think for me, it would just be a starting point of getting a grip on some of these social media platforms. If you look at when this really, this country really started to turn um, uh, extreme left, when was it? It was 2011. What did you have come out in 2011? Instagram. So, you know, you can tie a lot of these problems that we have with the left 
back to social media and, and its influence on the youth, uh, because now who's coming, who's coming of age now, you know, but why, why does a 13-year-old child, why is that child allowed access by the government to, to entities? There is still pornographic material on Twitter today. Why should a child be allowed to have access to that by the government when the government won't allow that same child access to a strip club or uh, any other pornographic uh, physical space? But the moment we put it on the Internet, it's, it's okay. Thank you, Jim. That's kind of an interesting I – mean, I, I don't have the answer. I mean, as normal, I'm throwing it out there. Let's chew on it the best we can. Take a break. Good call. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate that. Kind of an interesting perspective from a parent of younger children. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. We find ourselves in these in these dilemmas. Limited government conservatives. I mean, it, it's a little bit like that in, in abortion. I mean, it really, I mean, I know it's life and, and we can say it's different. I get that. But, you know, that goes back to me being a socialist libertarian or libertarian socialist. <laughs> I love my government. I don't care much for yours mm-hmm. at all. I want government to do what I want it to do, but not what Jim or anybody else wants it to do. Um, we're talking about it being a Chinese app, and they're trying to manipulate and distort and destroy and brainwash and indoctrinate. Um, are we going to stop letting – what if we couldn't buy a toy this Christmas for a kid that was manufactured in China? Every kid would get a bag of switches. For Christmas. I mean, think about that. I mean, what, what if we decided today that because of the Chinese communist government and its, uh, its ways and it's, uh, it's wanted to be the preeminent superpower on the planet and uh, supplant us. And in other words, I'm not buying my kid a toy that was made in China. Where would you buy a toy? You better get your little wood-making shed and make your own, <laughs> yeah, try your to own find toy. One. I'm just saying it's complicated. I'm not saying I have the right answer. I'm certainly not insinuated that I know my way is the right way and the only way. No, I mean, Jim and I had an honest debate. I don't know that we disagree at the end of what he, he our makes best great interest. points. It sure and and it's, it's the dilemma because my immediate response is I don't government's already too much up in my business. And I don't, I just don't want to give them an inch where I don't have to. Now there, there are obviously some things that may cross the line and be well, necessary I mean, and I'm willing to listen. So, so let's go to Jim's point. Do you want a 13 year old kid? To be allowed to walk into a liquor store and buy, you know, pure proof bourbon. Exactly. Of course yeah. not. Um, I don't. Um, but do we stop a kid from walking into a McDonald's and buying three milkshakes and, and four orders of fries? And that's a very good point as well. And, but, but but these are conversations that make for good talk radio. Let's go to the phone. Rick and Sumter listening to WDXY. Hello, Rick. Good morning, man. This is a fascinating conversation. And I find myself agreeing with most callers, even when they contradict each other. Um, but you, but you mentioned the word, you know, limited government conservative many times, basically you're just taking a page out of the libertarian party playbook. Pretty much. No limit, limited government. Um, and I've always said, and even though I do identify as a libertarian, um, I've always said 100% buy-in to a social, political or economic you know, philosophy rapidly becomes a suicide pact, as you said with a 12-year-old. I would disagree with one thing you said, though. You said the same thing about a 19-year-old with a, um, going into a strip club, and you said, no, they shouldn't. 
I would disagree. That 18-year-old has been deemed by the government to be an adult. If arrested, they're arrested and prosecuted as an adult. They can sign a legal contract. They can enlist in the military. They can get married, whatever. But we have somehow made them many adults. So they have some adult rights, but not all. And I would disagree with that. I think that's reasonable. Okay, what age is too young to walk into a strip club by yourself? Well, I would. I mean, is it 16? Is it 7? We have made 18 the number for some reason that we picked out because an 18-year-old usually is old enough to have graduated from high school. They're old enough to work full-time, so that's the number we kind of agreed on. You know, I don't know whether it's the right one or not, but Mm -hmm. that seems to be where the bar has been set. Except for buying a beer. Don't you have to be 21 to buy a beer? Exactly. Now, when I was growing up, we still had many adults. 18, we could go into bars and buy beer, but you had to be 21 to buy liquor. Correct. That was just some kind of obscure thing. Interesting. Thank you. And once again, these are debates. I don't have the answer. I don't think Rick said I know the answer. I don't think I heard Jim say I I know the answer. And let's be honest, guys. uh, We're all, I don't know Rick's place in life. I don't have young kids. I mean, I've got a 33-year-old, a 30, my wife will correct me if I'm wrong, a 32-year-old, and a 20-year-old. I'm not as concerned as Jim is about the influence TikTok can have over a young child. If my kids were much younger and impressionable, I mean, they're still impressionable to some degree, um, but I remember worried about my daughter, you know, on her cell phone or laptop or iPad, what's she looking at? What she, you know, she's, I mean, she's learning and, and, and adopting and you know where I'm headed. I mean, you know, you, you, you do things and, and, and participate in things, you know, you shouldn't, uh, we, we all do the point I try to make, and this is in the macro of all macros. Well, let's do this. Let's take a break. And we'll come back on the other side. Eight, four, three, six, six, one, oh, nine, three, seven is our number. What is more dangerous, Josh childhood obesity or child children being exposed to sexually explicit material? Um, I think uh, being exposed to sexually explicit material Why is because that? there are proven uh, effects that it does it does long term damage to your brain. Actually, it's not it's not as simple as oh I like looking at you know that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and with obesity, it is more of a, a of a prevalent uh, and an obvious addiction. You Acceptable. Know, yeah. Acceptable. Again, you yeah, know, you, you the, asked the public which has I would prefer. That. Sexually explicit's taboo. Give me um two strawberry milkshakes and four orders of fries and three fish sandwiches. I didn't watch any porn on online, and I make sure my kid isn't on TikTok. But rustle us up some strawberry milkshakes and fries, and we'll be just fine here. There's a social acceptance. It we've normalized. I agree. I mean, I'm not saying one's different. Than, I mean, obviously one's different than the other. I'm not saying one's less dangerous or, or, or shit. But the point I'm trying to make, my macro point of all points, I believe in personal responsibility. I mean, I think once we stop hanging our hat there, we look a long time for another hook. I mean, I think one of the bedrocks of my worldview is my personal responsibility. I've never blamed anybody publicly. For my political crap. 
<laughs> but in your private moments? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, you've heard some of those stories oh, before. Yeah. Did to me and did, did all those other. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but but I just believe once we stop hanging our hat on the notion or idea or premise of personal responsibility, we 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 start looking. Okay, uh, let's hang it here on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Let's hang it over here on Thursday and Saturday. Let's on Sunday. Oh yeah, Sunday's the Lord's day. Let's you know, let's not order milkshakes and and large fries, biggie fries, and whatnot. No, I'm just saying. Society creates these unspoken guardrails, and we accept. Um, I'll give an example, Josh. Let, let's play this out hypothetically, Rev. So there's a, a 13-year-old kid with his iPad in a McDonald's, and I'm picking on McDonald's just because they're McDonald's. Um, I always pick on the biggest and baddest. Um, so there's a, there's a 12-year-old kid watching pornography at a table in McDonald's, and he's got three orders of fries and two milkshakes. What are we more as a society offended by? You know the answer to that. Yep, the porn. I mean, that kid's watching porn. And he's also got three milkshakes and three fries. Mm, Those look good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See yeah, where I'm of course, I, mean, yeah. I, I just think, and, and maybe TikTok yeah. is and, that. And when they, we know they both have negative effects. What if TikTok wasn't owned by the Chinese government? What if TikTok was owned by an American enterprise? What if TikTok was owned by Elon Musk? Elon bought it, there you yeah. Go. Well, what if Elon bought TikTok? And you couldn't blame that Chinese government, you know, because the Chinese are trying to spy on Americans and brainwash young children. What if Elon Musk purchased TikTok and it became a part of the Twitter family, the X family? Um, would we feel differently about it then? I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I've set up a million times. I don't know the answer. I don't have any idea. And I would imagine... That if my kids were the age of Jim's kids, I would have been more worried about baby milk and baby formula and TikTok than I am today. I'll readily admit that I am as much of a self-preservationist as you are. And if I don't believe my kids are adversely affected, I'm not as keenly interested. I would expect Jim to be more emotional or intensely motivated by that because he's got young children. And we do believe that it has a negative influence on young children. But, but once again, whose responsibility it is to protect their kids from that? I, I get what Jim said. He said it very perfectly. He said it kind of like a politician debating. Am I, you know, me against the Chinese government? Really? You know, I'm, I'm a match for the Chinese government? I, I don't know. I mean, you're, you're, you're parenting your children. You're making decisions on their behalf. You know, where, where do they, what room do you get in? And what room do you sleep in? And where do we go to church? And where do we eat? And what do we eat? And, uh, you know, how hard are you studying? And I, I just believe. Fundamentally, that that once we allow the government to dictate the terms and conditions of our or, or or manage our personal responsibilities, we become a less nation. I think some of the social fabric declines. Well, you chisel away at you, liberty and chiseling freedom. away would be the perfect way to say that. Way and then not only do we chisel away some of the liberties and freedoms, we farm out some of the responsibility. I don't have to be quite as responsible as a parent now because the government took care of that for me. I mean, if the government is going to take care of all the yields in the world, then uh, McDonald's will never sell another milkshake to a kid. Yeah, and who in the government makes the decision? Well, I mean, that, that, that's, that's always been the point. You know, I mean, if, if we're going to deem this, you know, in a, inappropriate and improper, who gets to decide that? I mean, who gets to decide at what age can someone have three milkshakes and four fries? I mean, that, that's, it becomes a very, very complicated debate i was gonna say i kind of disagree with you guys on this okay, one fair I'm, enough. I'm okay like i'm i'm not 
a self-proclaimed like small government libertarian type. I'm I've said before, I'm okay with large I've never, government. I've never suspected you to be that. I told Rev one day. I said, Josh got a little bit of big government in him. I do. Most of you young bucks do. And and the way I see it is is like this this world we're living in, like especially now with all the like immigration trouble and stuff, the the big government is bad, not because of big government in of itself, but rather how it's being utilized. So if the government were big and I did have less freedoms, but we lived in a decent society and the quality of life was good, then I wouldn't have an issue with it. So so I'm okay. Like obviously, you know, you're you're saying, well, who decides this? Who decides that? And at the moment, I'm not happy with who is deciding that. But if we were in a truly like uh, democratic republic, how we should be, and that the votes weren't the the elections weren't rigged and whatnot, I'd be okay. Like if you became Ken Ard, became Emperor of America, for for a certain amount of time, and you had absolute control over everything. And the rules you implement were were law, and and only after your rule did everything go back to normal, and it and it took all this trouble to overturn, and you said no more porn, no more like, uh, you know, you you have to get like a license to be able to eat at fast food restaurants more than twice a week. I'd be completely okay with that, even if that limited my freedom mm-hmm. to go to fast food whenever I wanted. You're JD Vance on steroids. Uh, sure. And J- J- J.D. These Vance are very basically said, re- remember when Vance ran for office and Vance argued, it's not the limited government. That horse has left the, let's do it right. You ready? <laughs> that horse has left the barn. The, the, the America first agenda has to be based on the premise of when in charge, what do we do? How do we abuse the privilege of being in charge of government? <laughs> Well, you bring up the border, Josh. I mean, that, that's a that's a pretty good example because I think a lot of probably smaller government people think that the securing the border and protecting our homeland should be a top priority of the government. Enforcing the immigration laws should be the top priority of our government, first and foremost. So I would agree with you there. I mean, I think we've got a big government. They're mismanaging their priorities and doing things they shouldn't do. And not doing the things they should. You trust an emperor, a good, you trust a benevolent dictator to create a better society. Yeah. I think okay. he said he trusted you. Well, I mean, to do I, that. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and again, he thinks I'm a reasonable man. I mean, I think, I mean, I, Josh and I've had this conversation. Josh thinks I have a perspective that is reasonable. Is that fair? Yeah. About government, about life, about parenting, about what sports, whatever. Uh, the, the only blind spot I've got is Gamecock football. <laughs> but that, that's an affliction that I'll carry to my grave, I'm sure. Um, wait till next year is what I always right, right. say. Uh, how many next years are there? No, but, but I think we, we all, I mean, I'm naturally going to be more opposed to government when somebody I diametrically oppose is in charge. I mean, I dislike government more when Obama was in charge than I ever have. Because I thought I was right in that he's a radical. And he's going to radicalize government. And it's going to end up being a just a bad place for America to find itself. When Trump was in our charge, I didn't hate government as much. I mean, I was not as concerned about government doing this or doing that or doing something else. But I think we've got to find some consistent place in our life. We've got to find a pillar or two or three that, that we fundamentally believe in. And one of mine is personal responsibility. I mean, I was raised by a self-made business guy. It was instilled in my brother and I. You may drink too much. You may drive too fast. 
but you're not leeching off the off the system. You're going to be independent. You're going to be productive and independent. If you're nothing else, I mean, you and your brother and sister, y'all may drink too much and cuss too much and not come home when you're supposed to. I accept some of that human frailty and imperfection. But both my parents were, were, were obsessed with their kids being independent and productive. And that centers around personal responsibility. Th- those are the influences that I carry in my life. Um, I don't know how many young kids are influenced by that as passionately as, as I was. Take a break, Josh. We'll be back in just a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. I feel a little better today. I mean, I felt rough this morning. I felt a cold coming on over the weekend. There's I get stuff here, going around. Well, I mean, Rev said there's a lot of things going around. I just didn't feel good. Um, but I feel better now. I've good. got a Celsius in my system. Maybe that's um, that helps. Yeah, false well, false energy or whatever. But it's, um yeah, 200 grams of um 200 grams of caffeine would not the poison that's in the other. Rev told me one day off the air, said, I mean, you can't say other drinks have poison in it, man. I'm thinking we can get in some some trouble. Well, let me say this. Celsius is the best and healthiest energy drink there is out there. And I mean that sincerely. That's good. Um, I'm not going to say the others have poison because um, Rev said don't because he's scared we'll get in trouble. <laughs> but but it accelerates metabolism. It burns body fat. I mean, it's got a lot of natural ingredients in it. And uh, so Celsius uh, the choice of libertarians or limited government <laughs> conservatives, for that matter. Um, you heard the debate we were having uh, about TikTok and whatnot. Good You've program. got uh, your kid. Uh, 11 years old. Going to be 12 okay. before you, long. So, so that, too fast. that child would be in it's the world in of social media. Oh, yeah. Um, you're more conservative than most academics. I think <laughs> Buffalo stuck in his bones. I mean, you know, being yeah. from that place. And, Rust Belt area. And, and, and about <laughs> that sort of life. Is it complicated for you to decide if government should or should not censor in certain places where kids have exposure? You can't watch your child every second of every day. No, I can't, can't watch no. mine every second of every day. No. So, so take the academic hat off a second, <laughs> put the parent hat on. Where, where do you stand there? I, 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 I give her free reign. Now, my daughter, she's not, she's not on TikTok. She, she, she does watch the – she likes YouTube, and there's sort of social media influencers – Anyway, if she's watching it in the living room, we, we're kind of listening, and there's certain ones that we know are okay. But again, like once you you go down the rabbit holes, if you watch one individual, it recommends, and then suddenly they might say something that there might be some some harsh language, some following, and then we say, uh-uh, you know, you're, you're you're not watching this individual. Don't watch this anymore. So no, it's 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 the world that we live in now. Um, I, I've adopted a libertarian approach with my daughter, if you will. It's it's a hands-off approach. If she manages her schoolwork, her her free time, she's doing well. She's making good grades. Then I, I leave her alone. If she sort of struggles, if we start to see, well, then we're gonna we gotta make some changes. We gotta start cutting back on some of the things that you're doing. But I, I my parents sort of gave me free reign, allowed me to do the things that I wanted to do. Think think it worked out all right for the best part. So if it, I'm trying to kind of do the same thing with my with my daughter. I'm not so much of a, a helicopter parent, maybe as I should be. But again, I, I'm certainly aware of some of the things that the hidden messages, the subliminal stuff that's in some of these, uh, these these social media influencers, if you will. And it's it's a tough it's a tough needle to thread. And and I certainly <laughs> understand those who have a different opinion. I mean, I do. I think Jim is as um as well informed as I am about these. No, probably more informed because he's got younger children than I do. Um, and all of the kids are are kind of doing that. It's it's not just my daughter. And if I say, well, you, you can't watch that. I don't want you doing any of this. Well, then she's going to kind of get made fun of. 
at school. She's not going to be sort of uh, up with the lingo, if you will, since all of her friends are, I don't want her to feel isolated or, you know, because of she's got the weird parents who won't let her do anything. So it, it, it's, it's a tough, it, it's a tough, you know, the thread, as I said before, again, you, you, you want to protect them, but you also want them to be able to experience life and, and make some decisions on their own. And be able to answer to the decisions they make. That goes right back to my there. father and my mother. I mean, that, you know, being <laughs> independent and productive. I mean, you're going to make mistakes, but, but, but I, I just don't them. know that yeah. we're doing children justice in shielding them from every potential bad choice they could ever make. I believe society's better when people make bad choices uh-huh. and learn from right. those bad choices than government saying, we're just going to take that choice off the table. Absolutely not. Yeah, no, I hear you. These are teaching moments. And you know, someone will say, hey, I don't, I don't want you watching whoever this individual is just because of, well, why? I don't like the language that they're using. All right, so find somebody else. Hey, I'm also the content that my daughter, it's about musical instruments, you know, ranking Broadway musicals, uh, stuff that's just painfully boring uh, to me as far as, but hey, she, she enjoys it. She's learning stuff from it. And a lot of her friends are probably watching some of the same things as well. So it's something they can converse with. And so that's fine. But again, though, there is sort of, I, I am kind of, out of the out of if I'm in the other room just washing dishes or doing laundry, and again, I hear something that material that I that's explicit or something, then uh uh-uh, uh, get that off right away. We're not going down those rabbit holes. My dad believed that a flock of seagulls was the work of Satan. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm convinced of that. He, he thought I was hell bound the day I found a flock of seagulls <laughs> and, um, and became enamored with the haircut. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we had a real long conversation yeah. about my haircut. Um, it's tame yeah. compared to what you have nowadays. It, it, there, it yeah. was this long. You, you ready? Yeah. Here's the conversation. So I walk in the house one day and Rev remembers the flock of seagulls. Dude oh, yeah. had his hair kind of, <laughs> kind of yeah, weird. Down his I mean, it kind of, yeah. kind of coming down his face. So I didn't cut my hair, but I decided one day I was going to wear my hair like that. So I walk in the house and my dad looked at me and it wasn't like, son, sit down. Let's talk this thing out. I mean, you know, I understand there's ancillary forces and exterior, you know, I get all that. I mean, I, my dad basically, I mean, here, here are the words. You ready? The hell happened to your hair? <laughs> And that was it. I mean, that, that was the right. end of that. Hair back you, in place. You got the message. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he, he thought a flock of seagulls was um, <laughs> Satan-inspired. It was, going to, it was going to wreck every young person's brain in the history of mankind. So, so let's I, I, I oh, save this I, for I've you got today. This image of, of you in my mind now with yeah. that, back that when I had hairstyle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, my forehead grows every day. Sorry. <laughs> my forehead grows really every that. single day. Wow. <laughs> um, so, so I read yesterday <laughs> that in the New York City Hall. They're taking down a, a statue of Thomas Jefferson that I think had been up for nearly 200 years. What's up with that, Dr. Bolt? It's just uh, it, it's the world we live in right now. It's, it's, it's the world run amok. Uh, it's, I, I thought we'd kind of move past this. It seemed like it had kind of quieted down with the removal of the statues and monuments, but it looks like it's, it's revving back up. And Jefferson's a controversial guy. But man, if we're taking out statues of Thomas Jefferson, if there's any guy we'd maybe say is off limit, <laughs> God, then any anybody is fair game at this point. And it was, you know, I was I was up in Washington D.C. a couple of weeks ago, walking around Statuary Hall, and some of the states have some some odd choices. And there's one state, Alabama, that has a guy and he's in a Confederate uniform right there in Statuary Hall. And you know, Alabama's not going to be taking uh, Joe Wheeler down anytime soon, but. To take Jefferson down, the the author of the Declaration of Independence. I mean, he's he's got some flaws. There's some skeletons in his closet, but surely the the credits for Jefferson have to outweigh the the debits, the negative parts in his life. So, 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 God couldn't one of the positives of this be we inspire conversations about people like Jefferson? 
We force the topic. We, we, in other words, when somebody says, uh, I mean, it's on Twitter, and there's a picture of a big, you know, hoist and a crane and whatnot, and it's taking <laughs> Jefferson there and loosening the, you know, the bottom base. And I mean, it's been there nearly 200 years in New York City Hall. Yeah. So, so my hope is this, Dr. Bolt, and maybe you and I can k- kind of nudge this along a bit, that when we take a statue of Jefferson down, that there's a universe of people that go, why are we taking that down yeah, again? Why? I mean, what, what, who was that dude? What did he do? What was he about? And you and I can, hey, he was a complicated man, a very complicated right. man in his time, but he wrote the he Declaration of Independence. Did a lot. And I, I think instead of taking them, let, let, let's let's change the plaques, the, the interpretive plaques, and where you can say, all right, these are the positive things. That he, these are some of the, the controversial things uh, that he have done. And as we said before, it's a teaching moment, all right? So we can kind of learn that, all right, that there are, yes, these individuals, nobody is perfect. But again, what Jefferson bequeathed to us, I mean, this is one of the most important individuals in the founding, the creation of this nation. I would argue the most important. I mean, I, mean, I, mean, it, I really would. I think he's the central figure he's in, the, in he's America's in the foundation. I mean, he, he, you're right. It's, it's George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John A. I mean, one A, one B, one C. And right. And, the, and you can easily make the argument that Jefferson is the top dog, uh, the most important guy, wrote the most hallowed words. For the United States of America, and how do we reward him in 2023? Uh, we're taking down a statue of him and just uh, obliterate, whitewashing and, him, and, and putting history. up. And I want to be careful here, but I won't. And putting up statues of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've we've erected statues of George Floyd, took statues mm-hmm. of Thomas Jefferson down, and, and that's certainly we need to be aware of that. We can sure. talk about that as well. There's room for both. But I mean, can't Jefferson be the impetus for a conversation about race? I think so. I mean, I mean, it, of course he could. And it's a complicated legacy. Jefferson, for us, left so, so many writings behind. You, know, you just look at all of these writings. And Jefferson was grappling with this, this issue of race throughout uh, the entirety of his lifetime. I mean, he knew the complexities, the, the contradictions the, in the founding of this country. But anyway, he was, till his dying day, he was trying to reconcile and solve these issues. I want, I want to put Bolt on the spot here. He would be our guy. You ready, Rev? He doesn't know this is coming. Uh-uh. Um, and he may run out of the, out of the <laughs> studio. We, well, I, I love to put his job at risk at least once <laughs> in, in the hour. Well, just coming here. No, you, you said something a second ago that got my wheels turning. You said, sure. you know, um, what does it say on the plaque? Yeah. So if Will Bolt is a one-man committee <laughs> and somebody comes to Bolt and says, we're putting a statue of George Washington up, you get to say what uh, is written on the plaque. Yeah. G- g- give me a synopsis. <laughs> I mean, I don't expect to do it verbatim. But what does the plaque say about George Washington? Yeah, mine would be probably would annoy a lot of my liberal left-leaning colleagues. I'm I'm an optimist. I'm going to talk. This is the the father of his country, uh, first president of the United States, hero of the American Revolution, and that's how I would that's how I would boil down George Washington. Uh, and I, I guess in today's contemporary world, you'd probably have to say, unfortunately, was a uh, an owner of slaves on his plantation of Mount Vernon. Uh, didn't really do much to try and end this this stain on the national fabric. Um, but if you don't have George Washington, we don't have a country. I think that's very fair. I mean, you bring up the good, and then you bring in so, some, you, of the, you some got, of the conflicts. you, you got to mention it. That, right. Okay, John Adams. John Adams. Oh, John Adams, second president, uh, f- f- important founding father, leading delegate, uh, one of the most important guys in the buildup to the American Revolution, the opposition to British taxation policies, uh, an annoying guy, a guy who rubbed lots of people the wrong way to get a very, very smart guy, an incredible uh, political philosopher, an incredible diplomat, uh, and certainly a, a key factor, a key force in the founding and the creation of this country. James Madison. 
the father of the Constitution, the, the man who had a plan for a new government. Most of the language, the writing in the Constitution is his, uh, the author of our Bill of Rights. But again, though, uh, a slaveholder at his home in Virginia, sadly. Uh, Benjamin Franklin. Ah, uh, the classic Renaissance man, a guy who had his hands in so many things at this time. Important founding father, another incredible diplomat, a brilliant scientist, engineer, uh, just a man for all seasons, if you will. And again, a very important individual. Uh, his diplomacy is what brought France into the revolution. And without French aid, dare we say, uh, it's doubtful the cause would have been successful. Alexander Hamilton. Ah, the founder of American capitalism. Uh, important aid to George Washington during the American Revolution, uh, but the guy who made made sense out of the mess, out of the American economy early on, uh, and again, basically equi- bequeathed to us to this day, American capitalism. Who are we leaving out? I mean, those are the likely suspects. I mean, right. there, there's no doubt. That would be the 18. Those I mean, are the everybody we just mentioned in that, that first, that had first monumental impacts on our nation's founding. Who are we leaving out? Yeah, you got, you got so you, maybe you'd have like some like a, a Roger Sherman who's from uh, the state of Connecticut, an important founding father. He's the guy who brokered. It's called the Great Compromise or the Connecticut Compromise, uh, which probably saved the Constitutional Convention. And so the delegates were kind of deadlocked and bickering amongst themselves. And if they sort of adjourned, then more than likely, instead of having a United States of America, you would have had thirteen independent states or commonwealths. And some of them probably would have been primed for the picking. They might have fallen back into the British orbit. Uh, so if we didn't succeed at the Constitutional Convention, if Roger Sherman didn't kind of find this, is, Sherman's legacy is uh, throughout American history. When times are tough, what do we do? Uh, we find a way to compromise. I mean, the only exception is the Civil War era. And so Sherman's another guy who sort of like fashioned an important compromise uh, in Philadelphia. Okay. Let's take a break, Josh. Yeah. We'll Let's be start. back. Dr. Will Bolt, History Chair, Francis Marion University, putting his career on the line every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9. Back in a few. <laughs> okay. Okay. No shot. Josh getting very comfortable in his own yeah, skin I like it. and in his job. <laughs> Is Josh in charge of um, editing? Yeah, yeah that, that creative writing. Look that's all smile. Josh. Look at the way he smiles. Oh, yeah. You should be proud of that one. Take, that was Mark's it, idea. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. No, fair enough. Um, what I mean, we, we, our listeners are normally accustomed to listening to one you know esteemed voice of political knowledge and know-how mm-hmm. now we've got two dr bolts here um history chair french marion university <laughs> thank you uh, putting his job on the line every tuesday morning that's only one of the few members of academia would do do we have a call we do let's do that let's yeah. go to the phone williams in orangeburg listening to wtqs williams you are on with dr bolt morning hey dr bolt i want to ask you what's going on in a whole you know ohio with their vote about abortion, the Republicans trying to, you know, trying to work around it. What's up? What's up with that? Well, I mean, as as I see it, this is a this is an issue that seems that seems to be working for the Democrats. Uh, Ohio was one of those states which we kind of thought was almost uh, sort of solidly Republican. It, it had always been sort of a bellwether state, but it it had been trending red for a little while, and there seems to be a a working formula for the Democrats. It's going to be one of the tightest Senate races. Sharon Brown is sort of one of those old blue-collar guys who has kind of survived for a while. He's going to have a tough fight on his hand. Uh, but it looks like there's there might be a pathway to victory. There, it might be a chance for a Democrat to win statewide. 
Do I still think a, a Democrat that Biden can win that in 2024? Uh, I don't think so. I'd be very, very surprised. I'd be very, very surprised if it was even competitive uh, the way it's been trending. But I think it is a cautionary tale that conservatives, Republicans have kind of overplayed their hand uh, on the war. And I think a lot of Republicans are now are, are kind of just trying to walk it back and just let's let's put this under the rug for for a little while. Sherrod Brown. Thank you, Williams. Appreciate it. Sherrod Brown <coughs> believes, I mean, he's somewhat of an America first Democrat. Yeah, it's a good way to I mean, put it. I, mean, yes. I know that's a weird way no, to say right. it, but he's somewhat of an America first Democrat. Um, and he sells himself as every man. You know, he's yeah. Joe Sixpack. He's the guy mm -hmm. uh, that relates to the Rust Belt and some of the working class in Ohio. There is no doubt that the Republicans are struggling with where to situate themselves on abortion. Yeah. I mean, there is no doubt about it. And I mean, as, as much as I don't like this, the pro-choice crowd have figured out a way to convince voters that Republicans want to take a woman's right to choose away. And that's just not the case. I think the debate is about conception and viability and when a woman should be allowed All to right. have that abortion. But in, in fairness, politics is about winning. And you find a winning message. And right now, the Democrats, I think, have the upper hand. Um, it would have been a lot easier. I mean, it doesn't save lives, and I'm interested in saving lives. And, Rev, you're right. Yeah, the number was 32,000. Um, they, they believe that since Roe v. Wade was overturned, 32,000 babies have been born that would not have been born had Roe v. Wade been, um, you know, law of the land. But, Dr. That's Bolt, there, there's no doubt that as states struggle with having to decide um, – there make some missteps, sure, and you sure. and you you've got some some very dedicated <laughs> pro-lifers in the Republican Party well, who uh, believe with every fiber of their being they're doing the right thing yeah, in yeah. in holding these extreme positions. But Ohio is somewhat of a um, I mean, it'd be somewhat of a melting pot yeah, uh, of yeah. where America stands on cultural and uh, social and it's, it's and economic always, issues. It's always been that sort of that that bellwether state. As Ohio goes, right, so goes the rest of the country. And again, Republicans had been. It looked like they they had it figured out, and I'm not saying that it's on the verge of flipping, but let's just say it's the stranglehold that the Republicans had on it might be loosening up at this point. And again, if the Democrats are able to flip Ohio, it, it's tough for Trump or any Republican now to get to, to 270. You can't win forward. without Ohio. I think, I mean, yeah, there's yes. no way. But but I'm like you. I don't think Ohio's in play in the presidential if, if, election. If you got to spend resources, though, that that's— yeah, it's that's it's you, resources you, know, you can't spend in Nevada and Arizona right. and, and right. Pennsylvania. Let's mm -hmm. go to the phone. Bryce in Florence. Good morning. You're on with Dr. Bolt. Good morning. Hey, quick question. Um, I've been meaning to ask it for really a couple <laughs> months, but um, with <laughs> these mass exoduses of these big cities, which trend liberal in voting, um, especially in California, um, at what point or will it have an effect next year of all these people fleeing these states and then moving to probably a percentage of them are going to red states. Um, is it Democrats that are going to keep voting Democrat? Is it mostly Republicans that are getting fed up? Or is it Democrats that like leave and kind of see the light and maybe change their vote? Um, and the conspiracy theory is, I mean, is there any strategy to California knowing that they, they have a lock um, on how they're going to vote for a long time because the margin's so wide? Yeah. I mean, could they purposefully be pushing – some of their people out to try to get them to these <laughs> states that could flip over. I mean, yeah, you might be giving the Democrats too much credit there, like some <laughs> sort of a, a master. Any of these, and we've kind of seen this. You've seen a lot of people fled Massachusetts and went up to New Hampshire. 
in New Hampshire kind of went bluer. And we've seen a lot of people, a lot of Yankees coming down to our district here in South Carolina. And we thought, oh, this is this is going to be a competitive. Well, once they've gotten down here, they've kind of embraced it, it's become our redder. ways. Exactly. I mean, it's become they, redder. They've, they've seen the errors of their ways, if you will. So, right, you, you never can tell as the as they're moving out there. There could be a reshuffling. Uh, you're probably not going to feel the effects until the next census. So you got you got to wait another decade before. But, no, it's, it's probably a concerning trend for Democrats. And again, there is a chance for maybe some pickups and maybe some uh, to, to kind of get some areas to win some elections that maybe Republican wouldn't have any business winning moving forward. Thank you, Bryce. Appreciate it. I'll say this. Um, the 232 that Trump got, I mean, if he holds serve in 2020, yeah. it's 235. I mean, in the, in the most recent census, 232 goes to 235. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the projections are COVID accelerated some of this. Yep, so turns. the 235 in 2030 ends up at about 239, maybe even 240. Maybe so so that, I mean, I understand some of the headwinds that the Republicans are dealing with when it comes to demographics. We're talking about young voters and minority voters and the browning yeah. of America and the, the youth movement in America. There, There's no doubt that Democrats enjoy an advantage there. But if you take the math, and I've done the math and talked to Kahaley a lot about this, 232 turns into 235. Ain't no way Trump loses Georgia. I think probably Th- there is no way without ballot boxes and uh, excuse me, drop boxes and unsolicited mail in. But ain't no way Trump loses Georgia. So 232 becomes 235. You put Georgia in the Republican column. It gets you to 251, 270 wins. So you got yeah. Pennsylvania, Nevada, Arizona. You got Michigan, Wisconsin. I mean, he, he's in a much better place. But I'm telling you guys. If in 2030, 235 does become 239 or 240, it is very much to the Republicans' advantage. Yeah. The demographic headwinds are offset by the the migration tailwinds, if you will. And that's why I think Trump, when you look at the betting odds, I mean, Trump is clearly the odds-on favorite right now. I mean, who knows what tomorrow holds, but right now, Trump is by far the odds-on favorite to win in 2024. And it's not just because Biden sucks. I mean, Biden sucks. There's no doubt about that. But a lot of it is this new math. The the 32 turns into 35. They believe Georgia. I don't want to say it's a lock. It's a little bit like Ohio. I mean, it it, it, it It, it looks like it it was sort of a a, a fluke. It was an anomaly. A a, a whole bunch of things had to line up perfectly. And the the odds of that are, and if you look in 2024, there's only one state that Trump carried that might be in play that he's got it maybe North Carolina and that's maybe, a, maybe. that's a big big a big if at this point and so there's no other area that he's sort of being under pressure on so he can go on the offense uh, in all of the areas and, and Biden's playing defense and it's a, it's a big field that you're trying to defend it it's tough and, and I'll say this and then we'll take our break Josh I'll say this if 93 percent of the people in Gwinnett County and Fulton County vote again it's in play I mean, there's no doubt about it. Historically, 66, 7, 8, 9, maybe even 70 or 71 percent vote in Gwinnett and Fulton County. During COVID, that number was in excess of 90 percent. If they have that sort of natural and organic turnout in Gwinnett and Fulton County, he can win. History says that was quite the statistical <laughs> anomaly. anomaly. Yeah. Uh, call it what you'd like. Ballot harvesting at its best. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Dr. Will Bolt is with us, history chair, Francis Marion University, Tennessee volunteer fan. They won. Oh, Buffalo yeah. Bill fan. 
not uh, so good. You, you, um, had, you had to go there, man. Well, I mean, it's, it's a raw wound. Well, I mean, it's, it's where you're from, and <laughs> yeah. they've had this window for about four or five years it's closing. That uh, that's okay. He said it, not me. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he, he jumped the gun we, on me. We but know, yeah. It is closing. It's a it, or thanks. You know, I was talking to my father and some uncles about just listing the soul-crushing, gut-wrenching defeats the Bills have endured over the years, and there's a whole bunch. And then, sure enough, Sunday the the Eagles game was was just one one for the I guy kicks a fifty nine yard field goal and in freezing the, rain the <laughs> wind. Uh, there's no way. And as soon as he kicked it, it's like this is going to be good from seventy. It's right down the barrel. And they 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 take any they, they win the coin toss. It's everything was set up for him, and they just. Uh, I, I can relate to the kick because all I heard all week was how the Clemson kicker struggled. <laughs> The Clemson kicker struggles. Man, I hope we don't have to kick a field goal. We have to kick a field goal. We're in big trouble. And he lines up for a 50-yard, and I'm going like, <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting in my chair. I said, he'll make it. There's no way he misses this. Does anybody not know the chicken curse is real? There's no way. Yes. He would have kicked it from 75 <laughs> yards had he had to. And sure enough, he kicks it halfway up the upper. Uh, he hits the scoreboard, the, the big screen scoreboard of the back. And I'm like, of course. I mean, dead down the middle. 80-yard kick, like Gus the Mule from the Disney movie. <laughs> and I'm like, of course. I mean, that's, that's life as a Bills. And a, so, know, so we can just, exchange um, sob stories when it comes awful, to Bills man, and, and yeah. Gamecocks. Okay, I want to go back just to get your take on this. Sure. Um, we sometimes believe that the issue of abortion is men thinking one thing and women thinking something totally different than that. I've seen polling that the majority of women – or concerned about conception and viability. Yeah. I mean, that's a reasonable debate, isn't it? I mean, it's not like every woman says to every man, I don't want you telling me that I can't have an abortion. Women are not monolithic. Men aren't monolithic. Sure, sure. I mean, we, we think through things in our own yeah. different and sometimes rational, sometimes irrational ways. <laughs> but why have we allowed the debate on abortion to be almost... <sighs> Men want this and women yeah. want that. When polls show something uniquely different, I, I think the problem with the abortion issue is we talked about it before with Roger Sherman. Our ability has always been to to compromise. And how do you? What's kind of the the middle ground? The compromise. One side wants abortion, another side wants pro life. Where's the sort of that? And so we've sort of had this well up the viability right a, a certain a time frame, but for a lot of pro-life people will know it. the moment conception it's 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 off the table right it should be carried through so again finding this this middle ground that kind of appeases or keeps both sides happy uh is is almost impossible and again it's it's a political football and it's, it's good for guys like you and me in this business and we hate to kind of be trivial when we're talking about about human life it, we're not it, talking about marginal tax rates right, right, or infrastructure exactly. education it, 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 it makes your skin crawl but we you a lot of it are tra trained to kind of see things through the, the lens of politics, and we kind of forget that there this is a human life we're talking but, about. But is that the part of it that we find so uncomfortable, the ickiness Maybe. of it? Yeah. I mean, I think we can argue as passionately as we believe about education and infrastructure, and, and all of a sudden uh, a conservative person comes to the table with a belief that life begins at conception, and you're asking him, okay, I understand what you believe, but here's what will sell. Here's what yeah. will carry no, the day and win campaigns. I just think the ickiness. I know yeah. that's a weird word. No, you're, you're, I, I, these are issues we feel people who who don't like abortion like, like us. But we also realize we, we've got to make a we've got to 
trim our principle. We've got to make some sort of a compromise if we want to get to the area that we want to. And right, it's it's a sick feeling in your stomach that you're having to sort of condone something that you disagree with. But this is the system. This is the hand, unfortunately, that we've been dealt. And we've been kind of chipping away at it for a long. It looked we've got the Supreme Court has now struck it down, and it looked like maybe we were. It's now gone to the next level of states, but there's. We've got to win 50 battles across 50 states if you want to get it to that. To the, and it's, it's a lot. Maybe it's a tougher fight than a lot of us anticipated. Last thing I want to touch on with you. I wrote the states down this morning knowing you'd be here. Colorado, New Hampshire, Minnesota, Michigan have all asked a judge to make a ruling <laughs> on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment um, that Donald Trump, as a candidate for president or as a president, engaged in inciting an insurrection therefore should be prohibited from being on the ballot as a candidate in the Republican yeah. primary for president. That's pretty aggressive. Yes. That, that's pretty out there. The most recent acknowledgement in, I think, New Hampshire is an Obama appointee Judge. saying we can't do that. Yeah. I mean, there is no charge against this guy for insurrection. Well, I mean, we've said this multiple times before with President Trump, we're reinventing things. We've never had anybody <laughs> who they tried to disqualify before. So it's, it's par for the course. I think it's a very slippery slope, and I don't. I don't think you want to go down that rabbit hole. With, but they're going down the rabbit hole. I mean, the, when, the Democrat why, parties in these states are going down the rabbit are, hole. Why are they doing it? Right, that that tells you all you need to know. Right there, they're, well, they're it, afraid that it, he can that he can win. Okay, Doctor Bolt, let's back up to there because I want to get your take on this. So you believe that the reason the Democrats, and I don't want to be a partisan here, I certainly don't want to be a professor <laughs> to be a partisan, but you believe that the reason they are so aggressive now and trying to find a judge that will agree to interpret Section yeah. 3 of the 14th Amendment in a way that disqualifies him, you believe it's because they don't think they can beat him? I think they're scared. They're, they're afraid of what a second Trump term could mean for them. And so, yes, any, any, any option is on the table at this point. I think Democrats are just absolutely terrified of what a second Trump term would be. And so, right, anything, the knives are going to come out. And it's probably just the tip of the iceberg We've had some mean, nasty camp- election campaigns in our history. I think this is maybe shaping up to be one of the worst. of it. There's going to be no shortage of mud, uh, lawsuits, challenges, and who knows uh, the stuff that's probably just being discussed behind closed doors, the stuff that we haven't, that's not even on our radar at this point. So it'll, it'll be good for talk radio. It'll be good for our business in 2024. But and I think we're heading again, once again, into uncharted waters. But, but right it's now. not unprecedented for someone to win the presidency lose the presidency, come back and run again. Wow. One time, uh, <laughs> Grover Cleveland from the great city of Buffalo, <laughs> New York. So a nice little segue uh, tie in there, right? He won in 84, lost a very, very close one in 88, and then won again in 1892. Uh, Martin Van Buren tried it, won in 36, lost in 40, tried to get the nomination in 44, uh, but failed. And so wasn't able to see it through all the way. But there is a precedent. It doesn't happen often, but... Uh, it has happened once before in American history. And after he gave me some money and went to Vegas, I'd probably bet on President Trump winning in 2024 right now, just the way things are going kind to of shaking out and the way the winds are blowing. So what does that say about the American electorate, that, that things have gotten so crazy, and despite how crazy it is and unprecedented, and this has never happened, that has never happened, they're still solidly in his camp. I think I think so. And again, a lot. How did Biden win in 2020? Well, a lot of things just kind of lined up perfectly at the right time. There was the COVID and sort of these sort of lax election laws that were open to interpretation. 
Uh, how many people voted for him just because they couldn't stand the other guy? And I think maybe this time around, maybe a lot of them just I'm, I'm sitting this one. I'm tired of all the negativity. You know, Biden doesn't send people running to their polling places on election day. You know, Bidenomics really hasn't worked out that well for many Americans. I mean, you want to ask the question, are you better off now than you were four years ago? Most Americans are going to say, no, look what I'm paying for gas. Look at my taxes. Oh, look what's happening to my personal finances. And it's a tougher sell when it's the guy who's running against you was the guy who lost four years ago. So it's a, there's just a a lot of headwinds, but you you never count them out. It's going to come down to just a couple of states and a swing of just a couple of thousand votes in Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, and you get another four years of Biden. I'll say this in closing. Uh, our good friend Kahaley tells us, and we were talking during the break, our good friend Kahaley tells us that if Trump is up four in Pennsylvania, he has a chance. Is If he's up three, he loses. If he's up five, he wins. So imagine going into a state where you believe the Democrats have that big of an advantage, I guess, off the record voting. <laughs> yeah. uh, voting oh, the polls don't pick kind. up in. Yeah, Robert okay. says three, he loses. Trump plus four. Ah. Eh, Trump plus five, he probably wins. That's kind of a testament and tribute to the fine machine you, you got, of Philadelphia. You have to tip your hat. The old Ed Rendell machine in Philadelphia. <laughs> you know, we say that over oh, machine politics, this is a, a bygone era. Uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Chicago, and still Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, it has a big, big impact. And yes, they know how to uh, find some votes. We'll just we'll just and, leave and, it at that. And I, I would add Atlanta, Georgia. So as we are, you're as, as well now. Team to live. <laughs> off yeah. the record voting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> off the record voting. Thank you, Dr. Bolt. Hey, great stuff. Have a good week, guys. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Do you notice that when someone starts talking about inflation, there's an inflection change in their voice? It's anger. I mean, right. I don't know if we you all, noticed it oh, yeah. during the break. When I put my headset down, Red says, let me tell you what happened to me. And, and it's like, I mean, I've got a series of words. You ready? I mean, if I tell Josh, if I say, hey, Bo, I mean, that, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, me and Josh are good. Um, But but if Bo turns into Captain. Mm, watch out. Yeah. What'd you say, Captain? <laughs> so, 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 Josh, remember that. I mean, it's not, it's, it's kind of, it, it is the inflection, but it's also the choice of words. Hey, Bo. Can, can you help me with this? Josh and I are good. But but if, if I ever say, hey, hey, Captain, what, what's going on here? Um, th- then that that's the, I just hear that in people's voice. I don't hear any, hey, Bo, when you start talking about inflation and groceries and going out to eat or whatever, a cost of a home, a, a car, doesn't matter. Well, you can't help but like shake your head when you're saying it. You know, these three bags of groceries, $80, or you, you were shocked by the sticker price at the drive-thru. It's almost surreal. I mean, it's, it, it, there's an experience when you go to the grocery store and you walk and you see a bag of chips and, and it's Carolina Clemson Saturday. And you're going like, okay, I want some, you know, some, I mean, I want some, uh, I want some Diet Pepsi. I want a couple of beer, uh, whatever, whatever your choice of, of drink is or beverage. I mean, here it's Pepsi and Celsius and, and whatnot. Um, and on the weekends, there's an occasional dabbling in alcoholic beverages for yours truly. Um, despite what my good Baptist friend may think. I don't think that's going to do me to hell. I hope it doesn't. Um, but anyway, um, you, you you look, uh, you say, okay, here's a box. Uh, here's a can of peanuts. And you say to yourself, it can't be $7. I mean, there's, there's got to be some sort of misprint. There's a, there's a, a couple of pounds of hamburger. It can't be. I mean, there, there's no way that bag of chips costs 6 bucks or 5 bucks or whatever that number is. And, and I read yesterday 
that the median, and I actually did some notes this morning, the median wage earner in America today, I mean, what would you say is the median, I didn't say household income, the median wage earner today makes what a year? So the annual salary? Median. 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 Mm, I'll say 55. 41. Okay. $41,000 a year is the median wage earner. Okay. Now, that's kind of an interesting choice of words. I would imagine they're excluding some people who don't earn a wage. You you, you get paid on, you got passive income, and you got rental property, you got a lot of, uh, I would imagine you're probably closer on what the median income would be. But this is a median wage earner. This is the man and the woman who get up every day and go earn a paycheck. They don't have rental property. They don't have business interests. They don't have passive income. Nobody left them a damn thing. They're doing the best they can uh, any way they know how. So, so the median wage earner in America is forty-one grand. Let's let's multiply that by two. Let's say the man and woman are both wage earners, and they're earning eighty-two grand a year. That's gross. So, so let's say for argument, they're, they're paying twenty percent taxes. They're not high earners. They don't get beat up on you know um, second homes and all these other sorts of things. So let's say that of the eighty-two thousand dollars they earn together as wage earners, man and woman. They get to keep 80% of it. That's $65,600 a year. Um, that's about $5,500 a month, give or take. I mean, that's a neighborhood $5,500 a month that they've got to live on. Sounds like a lot of money, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. I mean, at $5,500 a month, man, I can do okay with that. Can you? You know what the median mortgage in America today is? I mean, just take a guess. I mean, help me here, Josh. The median mortgage payment per today month. in America per month. Um five hundred dollars. I was gonna say eleven. Twenty two hundred. But oh, but there's some stuff. The National Realtor Association has it twenty eight hundred. Whoa. I mean the median mortgage is about three hundred twenty five. Interest rates have well, gone up lately, well, I mean, so just payments just the price of the homes. I mean the median mortgage in America today is north of three hundred thousand dollars. The median, wow. I mean, depending on what you what stats you believe in, I've seen it as low as twenty two hundred. I've seen it as high as twenty eight hundred. So let's round off and say twenty five hundred. Let's meet in the middle. Um, what, what do you think the median car payment in America is today? I mean, it's staggering. What What do you think the median car payment in America is today? So based on the fact that the mortgage was higher than I thought it was, I'm going to say your your car payment is seven hundred. Wow. That's the median car payment in America today. I mean, it's it's unfathomable. I saw something on Facebook yesterday on the marketplace. Um, Just just plundering around to see what's going on. You know, go Facebook marketplace. Somebody had like a four-year-old pickup for $62,000. And I'm like, that can't be. I mean, there's no way a four-year-old pickup with 35,000 miles can be $65,000. But it is. I mean, that's kind of where we are. Homes, the average home in America today, the median home, remember difference in median and average, the median home in America today is $414,000. The median mortgage is about $330,000. And you fluctuate the interest rates. It's somewhere between twenty two dollars and $2,800 a month. So if that family, if the man and woman are wage earners and they're bringing home $5,500 a month, and twenty five hundred goes to the mortgage. They're at three grand a month. 
another 700. Let's say they got a good car and a bad car. Let's say they're into a car grand a month. I mean, they've got a, a real dependable, you know, updated or upgraded car. And then they got a junker that, you know, old Bo drives to work. Old Bo. Until it breaks down, and then it's captain. Um, <laughs> right. But, but they're in a grand a month. So 5,500 minus 3,500. And that's the payment. That's not county insurance? No, no. I mean, we gasoline? haven't gotten that yet. Oh, gosh. We haven't gone to Publix yet. Okay, right. Or Food Line or Walmart oh, yeah. or wherever you buy your groceries. Mm. I mean, we're at 2500 a month. They paid their shelter. They paid their cost of transportation. And they're left with 4.3 weeks to make $2,500 go. You got health insurance. Uh, you got clothes. You got groceries. You got a light bill. Uh, I guess you got a Wi-Fi bill. You got a... I mean, they're toast. There's a reason that we have $5 trillion in non-housing loans in America today. Let me say that again. $5 trillion in non-housing loans in America today. You know what it was in 2003 when we started keeping this stat? It was about $1.6 trillion. So in 20 years, we've gone from $1.6 trillion in non-housing loans to $5 trillion in non housing loans, and that's why I've always argued the housing bubble was a big deal, the dot-com bubble was a big deal, um, the industrial revolution was a big deal, um, the, the the airplane of the Wright brothers was a big deal. I don't know of anything that could be bigger than the eventual bursting of our debt bubble. I mean, I really don't. I mean, I, when I think about where do we go from here, um, I mean, how does, that, how does that man and woman, I mean, let's say they got a kid. And they're doing okay, Rev. They're making eighty-two grand a year as wage earners. I mean, they're the median family. I mean, there's some doing better, some not doing as well. But but the next thing you know, they go to a decent neighborhood and look at a home. They're expecting to spend you know one hundred eighty thousand on a mortgage, and they're spending three hundred. The government has devalued your dollar in a way that you can't fathom. Let me say that again: the government has devalued your hard-earned money in a way that you can't fathom. And the Inflation Reduction Act, remember we did a bit yesterday about bond yields and equity markets going up? I mean, I'm no economist, I'm no financial planner, but I got enough sense to know somebody's wrong. I mean, if equity markets and bond yields are both going up, somebody's wrong. And the concerning part I've got is even the Keynesian economist says, well, you don't normally borrow this much money when interest rates are going up. I mean, imagine imagine a country spending money that freaks out Keynesian economists. We're at about $2 trillion, $1.7 or $8 trillion in the most recent physical year. The, the, the Fed is trying, I'm getting the weeds here, the Fed is trying to get about $80 billion a month off their books. So the Fed is introducing new credit to the market. I mean, do you want to buy some of the Fed's debt? Uh, you got to pay five, you know, yeah, I'll buy, but I'll, I need 5%, four and a half, four and a quarter, whatever that number is. We, we just made, I think we've made a generational. No, nah, let me back up. I think we've made a once in a once in a million year mistake. Now, now how do you know financing a million? I mean, I'm using that as somebody, I mean, that's hyperbole. I'll admit that's hyperbole. Who knows what we paid for? I mean, people weren't around a million years ago. We don't think. Um, but anyway, it's, it's about to happen. And the reason I know it's about to happen is there's not the appetite for the dollar. There's just not. When when people say, okay, the U.S. government is borrowing more money, I'll buy the debt, but I need a good rate of return. 
I need a good interest rate. So simultaneously to the government borrowing about another $1.7 or $8 trillion, the Fed is going, hey, we got too much debt on our balance sheet. I mean, we need to get it out of here. So they're, they're, they're auctioning off about, and that's what's called quantitative tightening. Um, and then here we are. And I, I got no answer. I mean, I, I'd love for somebody who understands this at a much deeper level than I to tell me how we wiggle off the hook. But, but when you talk about, I don't have any money. I said yesterday, I mean, I said in the, in the previous hour, I have been around 10, 20 people in the last month or two or three that do well. I mean, they do real well in life. And every one of those people at some point in our conversation will say, have you looked and seen what trucks cost now? Do you know what it costs me to do X or what it costs me to do Y? Have you been to the grocery? I mean, every, and none of these people are broke. I mean, they're not struggling, but they're to the point, I mean, they can't fathom how much things cost today, and it's only going to get worse. I mean, do you really believe that the sub sandwich goes back to $8? Do you believe the, the fast food meal goes back to 9 bucks? I mean, let's say we went from 9 to 13 I mean, we went from 5 to 9 but we did that kind of, you know, at a decent rate of inflation. It's, it's much higher than the government says it is, but we went from 9 to 13 like that. Do you really believe that that meal is going back to nine? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm asking, a, I don't know the answer to that. What, what sort of market forces and economic realities have to take place for that 13, 14, $15 meal to go back to eight, nine, $10, seven, eight, nine dollars. I don't know. I don't have any idea. I can't come up with a number. I mean, I can't come up, but I'm not an economist. I mean, I, I don't understand every intricacy of, of, our, of our dynamic, but, but I do know this, that if you are a median wage earner and you're living in a median-priced house and you're driving a medium-priced uh, car, what, what's the old country song, too much month at the end of the money? I mean, that's kind of the story of your life. And, and what happens when there's too much month at the end of the money? You put it on credit. I mean, you, you got responsibilities. You can't go hungry. You can't let your kid go to school without clothes, right? I mean, forget the luxuries and, and you know, so, some of the nicer amenities. Forget going out twice a week. Forget, you know, uh, vacations and Gamecock football and, and Clemson football. I just think we're, we're in for a and, – and then once again, I think generational is making light of it. I think we're in for a once-in-a-hundred-year financial reset. Now, now, what it looks like on the other side – I haven't a clue. I haven't a slightest clue. But but I but the more I read some of these recent articles about our financial situation, the financial situation we find ourselves in, that's a little bit of me that says I might rather have a Democrat as president in the next four years. Because I just don't believe you can kick the can that much longer. I mean, I think we can kick the can to get to the next election, what we always do, until we can't. And in and, and, and the famous words of my father, who was a great economist, a highly educated scholar, it works till it don't work no more. And we figured out a way to make it work, but it's starting to not work. Am I right? I mean, sure when, when, like when, when you go median income, median wage earner, median home price, medium car price, median grocery bill, is it still working? I mean, when I say it works until it doesn't work anymore, isn't this some of the cracks in the, in the, in the machine? 
of it not working anymore? I mean, when Dave Baker goes to the grocery store and he leaves there angry, and you're not by yourself. I mean, I left the grocery store in Pauly's Island, and there's a lot of affluent people in Pauly's. I mean, I doubt very seriously many cars get declined in that public's grocery store. But it's still, I think people walk out of there going, there's no way this is $100. There, there's no way. We went to the Waffle House. There's no way it's 50 bucks. It can't be. And what also angers you is when they get asked questions, I'll bring in the politics now, like in with the press secretary at the White House. You know, their big thing was Thanksgiving was the third cheapest in history or whatever for the cost of a Thanksgiving meal this time. How can they say that stuff with a straight face? And they talk about incomes being up. I mean, who feels that? I'm telling you who's giving them those numbers. That same crowd that says Clemson is 11-0 against South Carolina on days albino cheetahs die, and they're 27-7 and <laughs> on days played in Williams-Brice after the grass has been cut on a full moon when two <laughs> offensive linemen are hurt. That's where they're getting that yeah. data from, that, that, that Clemson statistician teams that keep up with those or are obsessed with those numbers about uh, historical analysis right. and what the history says about this and that and something else. But, no, I mean, I don't know how they say that with a straight face. Well, I mean, to begin with, the, the black lesbian hasn't a clue. I mean, she doesn't know anything about the economy. She got her job because she fits a certain – I mean, there are checks in the box that need to be made, and she puts a lot of checks in the box. Nobody knows – I mean, let me back up. Most people know she has no clue what she's talking about, except when she says, I'm not answering that. You know, we don't, we, we've, we've made all the comments about that we're going, we're going to make. There's no way. And, I, and it's almost like I'd love to have a, one of these cameras that, that when, you know, that shine on a, a checkout line at a grocery store. And when, when you start checking out and you're going like, there's no way that's a hundred bucks. I mean, that, I mean that, that, that was me. I'm going like, okay, my index finger is struggling, but it's not $10 worth of groceries. You know, it's, it's a hundred dollars worth of right. groceries in two bags that I can grab with my index finger and carry to the car and, and, you know, Biden, Bidenomics or Trump, not what to call it, what you'd like to call it, but we have significantly, tremendously devalued the money you go to work and try to earn every day of your life. Take a break back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. I would love for someone to call who understands this better than I do. Explain how we get out of this without a major financial catastrophe. See, that's what freaks people out when you, including me. Well, when, you said, when you, you said somebody this, in your family texted yeah, you a second ago and did. said, "I'm freaking out, man." I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. I mean, I want to be positive and uplifting and tell you everything's going to be okay. But but two plus two equals four, whether you're Democrat or Republican. And I've never said this is all about Democrats. I mean, I don't think in, in, in at any point during my rant or diatribe did I say that's why you got to elect Republicans. They have shown an unwillingness to curtail spending. They have shown an unwillingness to make serious decisions about the financial state of affairs of our nation. And I'd love for somebody who understands this much better than I to offer up a proposal that would help us avoid a, a, a financial correction that inflicts a lot of damage to an economy. And, you know, the people who participate in our free market economy. Let's go to the phone. Danny in Camden. Hello, Danny. Hey, uh, y'all were talking a while ago. I don't know how much I missed in dialing in because I listened on the app on my phone. But y'all were talking about a while ago. Where do we get these answers from or are these comments? 
I don't know if you heard John Kerry yesterday. Uh, he was talking to Senator Massey, and he was going over the climate change. Well, Senator Massey asked him about the climate change, and before humans was here, it was over like a thousand parts per million or whatever. And so John Kerry, in his explanation, he goes back 800,000 years. And Senator Massey happened to know that. And he said, well, why do you use 800,000 years? And that's when humans come along. So Senator Massey asked him, well, before humans come along, it was higher than it's ever been. So if you listen to what they say, they give you the answers we need. And that's climate change has nothing to do with us because it was way higher in the carbon or uh, CO2 range before humans was ever even on the earth. So they tell us everything we need to do. They lie to us all the time. And if we pay attention to what they say, we will get the answers and we can talk back to them. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. But they're not lying for nothing. I mean, climate change or, or the, uh, let, let me back up. Man-made climate change with absolute certainty, like Kerry and Gore proclaim they understand, is, I mean, that's evil. I mean, that's wicked. Forget nonsense and crazy and who should believe. that, that that's, that's just evil and wicked. But you've got to understand their motivation. It's an agenda. Sure, it, it's an agenda that is very uh, rewarding yeah. financially. An agenda hoax. Sure. Well, I mean, it's an absolute hoax saying... If these people are asked to really explain themselves, I'll give you another example. Three years ago, a lot of Americans wanted to believe in the electric car. I mean, we didn't like the fact that gas was so expensive. We didn't like the fact that we were dependent on, you know, some of the um, ah, some of the folks that aren't crazy about our way of life to, you know, to provide the oil necessary to convert to gasoline. And out of that came the ability to, you know, power our economy. We didn't like that. I mean... So we were ah, unreasonably positive on the electric vehicle. I mean, we had people call in this show, you know, talking about how great it's going to be and how quick it's going to, to happen. Um, everything I read today says just something opposite of that. So, so once I mean, these pipe dreams are challenged, you find out they are what we thought they were. They're pipe dreams. I, I'm not arguing against climate change. I mean, I'm not a moron. I believe the climate changes. It's, it's, it's ever-changing. It's always changing. I believe we have a responsibility to be good stewards. But for John Kerry and Al Gore to parade around the world saying they know with absolute certainty that if we don't do this, this is going to happen, and if we do do this, something else is going to happen, and for people to believe that, I would expect Kerry and Gore, I mean, they're prostitutes. I mean, they're doing this for the money and notoriety and attention. I mean, they want a statue somewhere erected in their honor. I mean, that's what those guys, that's what floats their boat. That's what they're out for, financial gain and power. Financial gain, power, and notoriety are the only thing that those people care about. They don't care about human beings existing in a, in a more affordable energy world. That's not their thing. I mean, they, you know, power, notoriety, and money. That's what they are completely and solely motivated uh, on behalf of. My, my concern is not those two guys, and I'm using those as the most arrogant examples. My concern is how many of you believe them. And, and, and another layer of concern, I mean, I get it if you're stupid and dumb and don't know any better, and there's some of us out here that are stupid and dumb and don't know any better, but what about those with an IQ over 100? 
and you still buy into that nonsense. I mean, when if your IQ is over 100 and a politician, a former senator says or a former vice president says, I know what to do about the changing of the planet. Uh, I know what to do about the changing of the climate of the planet Earth. And I know what will happen if we don't. I mean, just think of that. A guy who asked people to vote for him in Tennessee, asked people to vote for him in Massachusetts, that guy stands in front of a, a Davos crowd and says, here's what we've got to do to save the planet, and here's what happens Here's what happens if we don't do that. And there are people with IQs over 100 who believe that craziness. If you're dumb and don't know any better, I can relate. It's easy to be hoodwinked. It's easy to be tricked and misled, and you're naive, and you're, you're gullible, and you're not very smart. But, but those who have an average understanding of who's up to what, we should be embarrassed. We should be utterly embarrassed that we've allowed those two men to have as loud a voice as they have about things they know very, very little about. That's what I'm saying. And, and, and you, you know, the science is settled. I mean, Barack Obama said that. Who is he to say that? The science is settled. And it really is a testimony on our nation. I mean, it is, once again, it's not, I mean, I, I'm, I'm being serious. The, Gore and Kerry are doing exactly what Gore and Kerry should do. They're seeking notoriety and fame. They're trying to make a bunch of money, and they're being paid to promote a, you know, a, a belief that we're in control and we can do X, Y, or Z, and this is what will happen if we do. The, the embarrassment is us. And how many of you believe this? It's the same embarrassment of how many of you believed that when, when John, excuse me, when, when Joe Biden mumbled on a stage that we're going to decarbonize the economy in 10 years, there were actually people out there who believed that. I mean, I laughed. I'm a college dropout from a town with no stoplights. And when Joe Biden said that, I laughed. I laughed out loud. Uh, and, and Trump's like, really? Okay. I mean, we're going to decarbonize the economy in 10 years. Really? It's not that Biden said that. It's that some people in America of above average intellect actually took him at his word and believed it and based a vote on um, that. And so when we talk about outlawing TikTok and whether it should be legal or not, that, that, that's really my concern, that we farmed out all ability to critically think. And let's create a bunch of conforming um, robots that don't question anything they're told and if Al Gore and John Kerry say the planet's going to burn up 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, we don't do this, but we can save it by doing X. And if Joe Biden says, you know, we're going to decarbonize the economy in 10 years, I mean, I, once again, condition to conformity. And we become somewhat robotic. We, we, we waste the majority of brain cells we have. And we eat too many milkshakes and fries. Take a break. <laughs> Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Got a couple of callers. You can hang on for a few moments. We've got... A frequent guest of ours, Beverly McKee from Cooks, uh, Cooks for Christ, is with us. And she, as usual, is um, trying to help someone who has stumbled upon some hard times. Uh, you said you know this person. I do. I went to high school with him. And his, his issues are what, Beverly? Um, in January, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. He also suffers from COPD. Um, he's also been diagnosed with stage four chronic kidney disease and his kidneys are only functioning at 20%. He's got an 80% blockage in his carotid artery 
and due to his low kidney function, they aren't able to operate. So just has tons of medical issues, and so we're trying to raise money to help And him. isn't that old? Uh, Hubie Black is 66 years old. That's right. So there's That's a right. lot of, we, we hope there's a lot of living uh, lying. He ain't having a lot of fun right now. No. And, and because he's not, you, you guys are kind of rallying around him. Um, when, where, how can someone help? Okay. Okay, the benefit is this Thursday is at the West Florence Fire Station on Pine Needles Road. Um, we need volunteers. We need baked goods. We're still taking orders until 5 o'clock today. You can call me, 843-229-0348, and we'll deliver for seven or more plates. The plates are $10 each. You get chicken bog, green bean slaw, and bread. Um, we'll have a bake sale all day from 11 to 6, and um, we're hoping to feed 6,000 people. We did, by the way, serve 7,350 people last benefit. So, wow. That well, was an Incredible. awesome day. And, so. and it, it is so well done. Okay, you, you mentioned if somebody wants plates mm -hmm. to call mm -hmm. you. You got to yes. get seven or more. That's right. What, what if somebody wants to volunteer? Just show up. Just show up to the fire station. It's very important, of course, with this cold weather. Of course, they'll be wearing closed-toed shoes, but we want you to wear uh, closed-toed shoes, no sandals, of course. Bring a hat and an apron if you've got one, and sign in, and we'll put you to work. We're gonna need uh, 150 plus volunteers on Thursday because we have to get our deliveries out. And that is at the West Florence Fire Station. Um, 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's right. And the bake sale goes on all day. It goes I would on imagine. all day until we sell out. We always sell out. Okay. And 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 if you need seven plates delivered, you can't wait until tomorrow. That's You've got right. to do that today. It's got to be done before five o'clock today. I'm actually routing this benefit. I'll start tonight and I will route all day tomorrow. It's a 12 to 15 hour process. So okay. And your number again is 843-229-0348. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Wish always. you nothing but the best. We always wonder whether it's worth Beverly's time to come on the show, but she says, yeah, when she comes on, there's always somebody who calls or inquires about wanting to help. So we thank you, our listeners for making it worth her while uh, to come on and try and help raise money for, in this case, Mr. Hubie Black, who's 66 years old. And as I like to say, ain't having a lot of fun right now. All these other things. I mean, you take the medical condition and then you combine all the other life issues. That, that, yeah. can no longer work. I mean, that's crucial. Scary to, to anybody. Yes, absolutely. No, not to have any income coming in. That's where you folks step in. And I want to congratulate and thank you. I, I saw where it might have been Facebook. Somebody in your critical to your organization had a birthday am i right oh henry bronson yeah. yes birthday was saturday yes and mr henry's done this forever I think, yeah. yeah how long has he done this oh gosh henry started this back when he was working at stone container as it was called then he's been doing this well i've been with him for 25 years so i'd say 35 40 years and he just started out just helping a guy there that uh, needed some money, had cancer, and the mill manager told him, he said, well, if you start feeding, you know, for one, you got to do it for all. And he said, okay. So it just took off, and here we are, and he just lives to serve people. Good He's deal. the biggest heart. And you guys do a great job of that, and I appreciate you coming on the show to enlighten our listeners about who out there um, does need help. Thank you, Beverly. All right. Thank you so much. She Take didn't care. say what about Clemson. She doesn't have any orange I, on. I noticed that. She's a true lady. See, she could have come in with See, orange. That's, that's what I was looking for, exactly. a true lady. Yeah, she, she's, <laughs> a, she's a true lady to come in, not gloating and boasting, now, but rather. I will rather... tell you that I had my Clemson sweatshirt and my purple leggings yesterday. Okay. 
Yesterday's but, good. I didn't okay. see yesterday. Yeah. Okay, there you go. <laughs> respecting <laughs> us. Yes, thank you. Respecting thank you us lowly Gamecock fans <laughs> on this on this Tuesday morning. Thank you, Beverly. Thank you. Do we have somebody on the phone? Uh, we do. Okay, let's go there. Jeff in Florence. Hello, Jeff. You're on. Hey, good morning. Um, I just heard you talking about how people would have to be uh, low IQ to believe Joe Biden saying the carbon, uh, you know, moving away from carbon. I didn't, I didn't say that now. I didn't say that. I said I'm oh, amazed at how many high IQ people believe that. Right, right. Okay. So, uh, I mean, dumb, I dumb people that. get hoodwinked. I mean, the world's full of dumb yeah. people, and a lot of us yeah. fall for things. My, my comments were, it's hard for me to believe that people with above average IQs buy what Al Gore and John Kerry are selling. Right, right. And, and you know, if you've, I, I've been watching Ron DeSantis lately because I feel like he's, he's going to be the candidate for you guys. And did you hear what he said about Trump and the wall? I've heard a lot of things that Santa says in the heat of a campaign. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a campaign, right? So, yeah. Uh, he's like, first Donald Trump says he's going to get Mexico to pay for the wall. Then Trump does a rally and says, well, there was no way for Mexico to pay for the wall. Well, that's a different story. Then he says, well, actually, they, they gave us some, some money in troops. And then he says, no, we finished the wall. So what is it? I can't speak for Trump. You got to talk to Trump about that. <laughs> I love how I love how Jeff segue. That that was great. He called it called in to defend Al Gore and John Kerry, and all of a sudden, Trump, 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 Trump. I, I could care less about that campaign rally speeches, but I mean, there's a lot of people above average IQ that believe we actually have a wall that Trump built. Do you think I believed Trump when he said Mexico's paying for the wall? Uh, I, I would hope you would vote for a candidate you thought was telling you the truth. I, I, well, I mean, I, if I, I wouldn't vote then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would never vote. Don't. If I'm waiting on a candidate to tell me the truth, I will never cast another ballot in my life. But I knew that Trump wanted but, to secure the border, and I was for that. But he, I mean, did he? I think he, he was, tried. I think he was much better yeah. at it than, uh, than Biden. Uh, he had a pandemic that kept people home, didn't he? Well, I mean, some of that played into, of course. Yeah, I mean, I'll agree with that. Yeah. I mean, Trump's numbers on immigration look like they do. And let's be honest, worldwide immigration stopped. There's no doubt we had a transition of power in a very unusual moment in time. Yeah. And as far as uh, the price of things coming down, the only mechanism out there to cause corporations to uh, rein in the record profits is the U.S. government. Did you see what's going on with the two largest egg producers in the United States? I've seen that. And see, I'm not a big fan of um of consolidation. I think consolidation. Oh, wow. I mean, th- th- this would be where I'd probably veer off of my limited government perspective. I am for government stopping monopolies and consolidations that provide consumers with fewer and fewer choices, especially in places like food and fuel. Yeah, I mean, do you think, uh, and just just so, you know, do you think your listening audience knows that two companies during the pandemic conspired and raised the prices of eggs and their profits rose 713%? I, I would say this, take eggs out of the equation. I mean, I know the story you're talking about. I'm not going to call names, but there were two food companies that sell much more than eggs that I think conspired and colluded and gouged people in the in the cost of total food i'm not gonna call names because i don't want to get in trouble but there are two right. behemoths of food companies that um that i believe distorted the marketplace 
unbelievably unfairly to the consumer. And and so is it Joe Biden or is it greedy profits? Well, I mean, I, 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 but but I think you will agree, and, and and I think you, I mean, you and I are probably in agreement on some of these consolidations and market shares and whatnot. I mean, that would be kind of the populist in me, but but I, I think you would agree. You would agree that the, the the massive amount of money we injected into the economy led to rampant inflation. There was no way around that. Trump did it. Biden put it on on our own superpower. They, yeah, they, they all they did it. But what happened? The corporations took it. But I mean, the corporations, when they know you distort, the corporation doesn't have an obligation to be fair. Well, and this is where we get to the heart of the problem of the United States and our deficit and where we're headed. If you believe that the corporations from the 1950s have the same interests as the global corporations that exist now, you're crazy. I don't. I don't buy that for a second. I mean, I, yeah, I'm with you there. They're different. They're different. They have no they consideration for the common good, but they're not. They're not supposed to. They're supposed to be as profitable as they possibly can to return to shareholders maximum value. And when the government injects enormous amounts of liquidity, they see opportunities to be more profitable. And and would you say price couch? Sure. Okay. And and what is the job of the government to? Well, that, that and that's that's where you and I would probably agree and disagree at certain points yeah, so, and places. So so let's let's get Ken on the record here. More government, IRS agents, right? No. Uh. I'll have to stew on that all day and come back and give you an answer tomorrow. Thank Good you, try, Jeff. though, Jeff. Hey, heartbreak, not heartbreak. End of the show. Thank you, Jeff. Love to hear from you tomorrow. We'll continue because it's kind of an interesting debate. Enjoy your day.